Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Movies in a Podchild podcast. The podcast where we take a theme, this week's theme, <laughs> childhood favourites, where John is, yeah, cool. As always, and luckily, I'm joined by the only person on the planet that can begin to describe this convoluted plot of the first film. A perspicuous teacher, if you will. You can call him John. Sorry, I'm a bit down in the dumps, but you'll find out why a little bit later on, I think. Or maybe he's maybe he's double bluffed me. Maybe he's double bluffed me. Sorry, I feel like I've sold you so short. So let me just one more time. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Movies in a Podshell podcast. The podcast where we take a theme. This week's theme, childhood favourites. As always... I'm joined by John. John, hello, mate. I feel like we're about to ruin some childhood favourites, aren't we, Jamie? Listen, we're about to go hard on both, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, like the film I'm discussing like, is already quite controversial. I feel like yours is probably more likeable, but um, we'll delve into it. I have thoughts. I have good. thoughts. Good, I'm, I'm glad you have thoughts. That's, that's good. I, it's a good I've, job, otherwise there won't be a podcast. This might be our last episode, folks. Jamie might actually like bin me off after this. This could be it. This could be the one. <laughs> what would happen? You know, if 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 like we had a massive falling out, would what who would what would happen in terms of the, the podcast? Like who? What the divorce? I think John. To be honest, I think John would take it as be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> He's like, I'd have so much more free time. Thank God I don't have to do the podcast anymore. Hush, but um, Jamie, you can have it. You can have it. <laughs> he runs it all anyway. Let's be honest. Come on, then. I don't think so. Do you know what? There was there, actually we we did have. I've had quite a few people say, "Oh, I'm so glad John's back." Like, like the the guests were amazing, but like you just you and him just have like such chemistry. Like, Cute. it's not the same when you're on your own. Blah blah blah. Like, I'm like, I still like it when we have three of us though, every so often. We need to we need to get more people on because I do I do enjoy that as well. We did that a bit before I went on paternity leave. But that was good fun. Paternity. He says it like he was getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Freelance um, life. None of that. Yeah. John, Jay- anyway. Sorry, go, go on. Whoa, what have you been watching? Um, so, really cool. We went to see, Jamie and I went to see an outdoor screening of The Predator, which was, no, sorry. Hold is, on. Is it The Predator or Predator? I don't want to say it's wrong. The original one. It's Predator. Yeah, not Shane Black's really weird 2018 1987. One. Arnold! Yeah, get to the chopper the, yeah the original get to the chopper uh, and yeah it was an outdoor screening Jamie moaned about the contrast ratio quite quickly which was quite funny but, yeah, I think um, I was well within my rights to be fair <laughs> I mean yeah it was, no, it was good fun and like they had a crowd people dressed up in camo and stuff it was good fun but um, Predators just got an amazing score and it's by um, I won't go too far into it because Jamie and I would actually quite like to do a Predator special episode because I've never seen Predator 2 Jamie's told me it's really good However, Jamie also told me Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was really good, so we'll find out. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed seeing Predator, but we'll talk about more that more at a later date. But Jamie went to another screening the following day at the same venue. So Jamie, what did you go and see? I went to see My Neighbor Totoro from uh, 1988. Obviously, everyone knows it's uh, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Um, Studio Ghibli. Um, so yeah, I would see that. I've seen that for the first time. We're actually going to be covering that in the next few weeks when we do our anime episode. Um, because it is, I'm sure it's there's an there's an anime month or something going on at the moment. Have you got it on Blu-ray? Maybe I just made that up. I haven't got it on Blu-ray, but it is on easily Blu-ray. available. Okay, it's fine. on Netflix. I'm sure. I'm okay, quite cool. sure that there's loads of Ghibli films on Netflix. Cool. Yeah. So that was um, yeah, that was that was great. And and do you know what? I've I've got a feeling Johnny won't like that either, but. 
it is what it is here we are um hey look at some of our best episodes have been when we actually have differing opinions we're not we're not just an echo chamber mate we don't no, we, no, we, no, we don't fair, speed it down we, no i think people enjoyed the juicy barbenheimer chat last yeah last last week um well a couple of weeks ago now but um mm-hmm. yeah people enjoyed the well basically my disdain for christopher nolan that i don't think went down too well to be honest <laughs> I, had some, unsurprising we had, we had so many messages coming through um just about yeah my little uh yeah, just just have issues. But if you want to Slamming hear about my facts issues, and Killian Murphy's face, but anyway, carry on. Yeah, maybe you should uh, go back to the, the the last pod and go listen to that because mm-hmm. um, we yeah we, we, you know us. I always call us the the most honest podcast because we are we are honest and we're not here to pander to anyone. Not, not even um, our own friends. Not even our own friends. <laughs> exactly, John. Is that all you've been watching? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I've been. Um, I'm right at the finale of Succession season two. And TV is about as far as I get these days. And um, I, yeah, that's it. I know you watched a little bit of the second Star Wars prequel as well, because you... Oh, God, I did, yeah. Is it, yeah, really cool, actually. Jamie came round to watch Phantom Menace, which was actually really nice, because I haven't actually sat and watched anything up here for a while. But yeah, Phantom Menace. But no, I'm jumping ahead. What else have you watched? Because I'm sure you've watched more than the film screening and Predator. I've watched loads, actually. Um, but but I'm, I'm quite unsure of... Um, what I mentioned last time, so I did watch Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Oh my god, you sent us WhatsApp clips of this, and I was not happy. Like, it was so vile. Was it a bit too much for you? Absolutely. Even though, like, the special effects aren't great in it, it's just, just grim. Relentlessly yeah, I mean, grim. It's everything that I moaned about when I said I found horror, like, uh, or the worst parts of it. I would so I would say right that <laughs> the film's eighty four minutes long. Um, the caption is "This ain't no bedtime story." Um, it's a British film. I believe it's British anyway. Like I mean, may, I might be talking rubbish there. It felt British. Yeah, do you know what? It felt British. There you go. That, that here you go. On that's my professional podcast. It felt opinion, British. Opinion. Yeah, it, fe- it felt British. Um, I would say that it's. I, I found it entertaining. So the film's obviously, it's obviously not good. Um, it made loads of money, loads of money. So we're getting sequels, we're getting loads of sequels. Isn't it always um, the case though with horror, like because they don't cost loads to make, then they can always make massive returns. So like yeah. it's why it always you can always circle back to it because like Saw was like such a tiny budget then ballooned like what it generated after. Yeah, definitely. Sorry. And I mean, this is basically about Christopher Robin who <laughs> he left the, the Hundred Acre Wood and he abandoned his old friends Pooh and Piglet. Um, so Pooh and Piglet are not happy about this. So when basically they, they, they hunt Christopher Robin down and try and kill him. I feel like they shouldn't be able to have like the IP to do it. Well, I don't understand so, how it all works, but go on, tell me something. I think he, there's something to do with, he doesn't have the red t-shirt. So when oh, so it's fair game have, as long as he, he takes the red top off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he takes Weird. It, yeah, it's... What t-shirt does he have instead? Blue? I can't remember, John. I was quite drunk as well. Like I needed to be for it. I'm going to be honest. Like, um, it's people are going to be like, yeah, it's a pure half a star film. But I had a lot of fun just because of how ridiculous it was. It's not well made at all. Um, I did actually watch then um, a film from 2023 uh, um, called "You Hurt My Feelings," directed by Nicole Holof Senner. I really hope I've not butchered that. Anyway. This is a great film starring uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. And it's about, uh, and it's just come on Apple, actually, uh, not Apple, it's just come on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. It's about a novelist, mar- like she's ha- she's been married to this guy for ages and she overhears her husband 
basically saying that he, he doesn't like her new book. She overhears uh, him okay. talking to his friend. And so the Ouch. film is it's actually really sweet. Like, it's really, really nice. Um, and it's just just a great little little sort of romantic drama. Like, yeah, it's just really nice. Um, I then watched films the wrong way around. So I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Oh. So obviously, is Ivan news in it? Ivan Ooze, no, but I wish you'd really stop comparing it to Power, Power Rangers because absolutely the category it's in. But yeah, no, we'll... it's not. No, it's not. Get out of <laughs> it. There, really mate. is. But yeah, go on. Um, this is it was made the year after. Um, I love uh, this. This film's. I don't particularly think it's quite as good as the first one. It's got Vanilla Ice in it, which is he does that go ninja go ninja go like you know um anyway they went a little bit more pg on this outing um just because um we'll go into it later but um oh god his his name escapes me now the person that made all the costumes Cred, help me john someone no jim henson sorry oh, oh yeah sorry Close jim up. henson um was quite upset at how violent the first teenage mutant ninja Turtles was so yeah, um, I then watched more crap, um, Terrifier <laughs> Two, which is from last year, right? It's obviously the sequel to Terrifier One. Obviously, it's 140 minutes long. Come on, it's got no story. I'm not expecting like Crime and Punishment, but like just give me something. Like the practical effects are good, the score's brilliant, the film is just nonsense. Like I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I would tell, I would, I would just not recommend it to anyone for a horror film. Um, I'm going to talk about just three more really quickly. This one's a really important film to talk about because it's so good. Um, so Indicator Blu-ray company had a have a film called Never Take Sweets from a Stranger. In America, I believe it's called Never Take Candy from a Stranger, obviously. Um, so this is a Hammer film. And it's basically about... It's directed in 1960, which is wild, right? Because obviously the same year as Psycho, which is quite a dark film this really does take it to the the next level so i'm going to read the synopsis so peter carter and his wife sally and their young daughter jean move to a sleepy canadian village where peter has been hired as a school principal their ideal is shattered when jean becomes the victim of an elderly elderly and extremely powerful pedophile the film was neither a box office nor a critical success it garnered criticism for breaking a significant public taboo so this is crazy. Like I, I couldn't believe how dark it was. And within about maybe 10 minutes, I did want to switch it off. Cause I was like, this is like quite dark. And this girl's giving her account of this man inviting her into blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm not going to go into it. The film is a, I believe it's a 15. You don't see anything like that anyway, but it's a, a brave piece of filmmaking back then. Um, and I would really, really recommend like people watch it. It's um, directed by Cyril Frankel. You see, you see all aspects of it, and it's maybe one of the, I don't know about it, probably an early depiction of how powerful people can just get away with stuff by being powerful, you know. So, I re- it's great, like fully, fully recommend that. The ending is shocking, um, and then uh, I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Out of the Shadows, which is the sequel to the the Michael Bay. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've been going turtle mad, you know. Isn't that the one that's got more turtle stuff in it, though? It's more true to the original stuff. Uh, um, bit more colourful. I, I think the, the TMNT, I think the 1990s one is very true to the original stuff because it's it's it really knows the characters well, which is, I would I would describe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows. This is a live action one, but the, the turtles are CGI. It's the one starring Megan Fox. It's 
they don't really understand the characters much. Um, the action's good. I think they the way Leo is portrayed is just horrible. Um, and they've they've ruined Casey Jones so bad. So Stephen Amell, police officer, isn't it now or something? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's really bad and it, yeah, it it's it's like six out of ten, pure six out of ten. It's yeah, I don't know. And John's like, and so is the 1990s one. I um, mean, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, um, I did. So finally, before we get into it, I watched Boys in the Hood from 1991, um, hmm. which was directed by John Singleton. Now, I'd seen this before, but I really didn't understand it at the time. And seeing it again now as an adult, and I guess seeing how recent events with the police and the kind of things that are happening, it's, it's so poignant. And John Singleton was 23 years old when he wrote and directed this. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important film. I, I would really, if, if someone hasn't seen it, yeah, it's a film about, it obviously is a film about like gang life that's probably wrong i would say it's it's a it's a film about south central like los angeles and it's more of a film about growing up in that area and what it's like for for kids growing up in that area and you kind of see the gunfights and the the drug dealing and those kinds of things and the conditions and it's the way it looks at kind of like fatherhood and this kind of thing is like really quite so mature. I don't even know what I was doing at 23. Like this is unreal, like nine out of 10 incredible film. I would really recommend it. Um, so yeah, um, that's got Lawrence Fishburne, Cuba Gooding Jr. Ice Cube. Mm-hmm. Um, it follows the, these boys as little boys. And then it kind of fasts forward to when they're older and it kind of shows how they get roped into just living there like no matter if your intentions are good bad i think living in that place just you're affected by what's going on around you and it's it, it's it's so mature and beautifully done um yeah go and watch that everyone cool oh, sorry mate i feel like i've been talking for ages but you know what you're gonna get all the talk in this episode because I'm you're not, gonna I'm somehow just... you're gonna somehow tell us about the first film um the first one we've chosen oh, is yeah yeah the first one we've chosen is Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace from 1999, unfortunately directed by George Lucas. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen. He can help you. The Force is unusually strong with him. He was meant to help you. Anakin! Tell him to take off! Will I ever see you again? What does your heart tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know. Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I mean, harsh intro. Let's 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 rewind. I mean, so today's theme is childhood favourites, right? Yeah. Correct? It, that's, 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 so the theme is childhood favourites, not I, great movies. Yeah. So I was seven when Star Wars uh, Episode One came out, and I remember being so excited. And I remember I went on the opening night. My dad took us Did to you? the... Yeah, to the... Um, it was UCL cinemas back then. But anyway, whatever. Um, is it Mary Hill? 
and I remember being so excited because my first, I've said it on the pod many times, my first memory of the cinema is seeing the re-release in 97 when I was only five. I remember needing the toilet and Death Star Trench run and kicking and really upsetting dad about that. Uh, and then, yeah, so for Phantom Menace, I remember going to show and tell in at school with my Phantom Menace ticket. Like because you took the ticket, yeah, 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 because oh. it was such a big deal then, and like people have to remember the amount of merch there was. There was like all the cereals with like the gold things in. There was like Pepsi deals. There was it was everywhere, wasn't it? Do you remember like the amount of hype about a year before? I had a CD-ROM on my Windows ninety five where you could like watch the trailer, and like you could um, spin around some three D graphics of like the ships and stuff. I was absolutely obsessed absolutely obsessed and for me like all the toys i owned at that time were star wars and like i remember like even then it was expensive it was like seven quid per action figure for phantom menace ones because they came with like a little device that you put on a machine and they played sound clips yeah and i remember like trying to collect them but being like damn this is expensive but um yeah anyway so phantom menace to me was just like everything at that point it's it's the most excited i'll probably remember ever being in an, an in anticipation in your entire film. well yeah it's all downhill from there isn't it but, a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's just like yeah it's 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 interesting because i've gone through a, a kind of love-hate relationship with this film i remember when i first when I, well i can't remember what i thought when i first saw it i remember just thinking it was amazing because you're a kid and like i thought it was amazing i, I think of the action and my dad would moan or people would moan about jar jar binks and i'd be like nah he's cool <laughs> like, you know no, no issue there and then when i was about 15 to 18 i kind of went oh my god like that is really annoying and blah 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 and then i kind of went off them for a while and then i do think what's happened and this is unfortunate but the disney sequels weren't great and i think people suddenly went back to the original creator who like it or not had a very distinctive vision not all of which i agree with but it's his vision he funded them himself he you know he made them himself and released them with the help of fox and you know i think their values their stock's risen their stock has essentially risen because the most recent films haven't lived up to hype is how I see it. I don't it. know if I agree with that. I, because... I I think they've been critically reappraised since 7, 8 and 9. Especially 8 was when people started kicking up, I think. And 9 was when it really was just like... Do, do, do you think that... Because, I mean, maybe as I was too young to even know. Go on. And so we've got we've we've had some like listeners that are a little bit older mm-hmm. than us um, writing and stuff about certain things. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, for me, like, I remember seeing the film and loving it. So... And, and and obviously it's a, it's a bad film. There are some I, things to like. Yeah, I, no, there are things to like, but it's it's not a good film. For, like, for me, it's like, not a good film. Straight one off of the, the bat, worst screenplays. One of the worst screenplays I've ever I've sh- ever seen. Straight off the bat, um, there's a brilliant documentary on the DVD of the Phantom Menace, where literally it's it's a famous thing. So if you've ever watched the Red Letter Media review of the Phantom Menace, it's very famous. It's by um, what's the character called that does it though in Red Letter? I don't know, Mister Plinkett. And Mr. Plinkett does a review where he talks about everything wrong with the Star Wars prequels. And I think he has some valid points. But I also think it's the joke is like to be really miserable over them. And I think I think there are a lot more positives than there are negatives. But it's just because Star Wars, the original trilogy is not perfect, but as close as you're going to get to in terms of, you know, story and character development. And I feel like that's what's lacking out of these. So 
bit, bit of insight. Lucas didn't want to direct this. He actually offered it to Ron Howard. He offered it to Spielberg. They're all like, no one wants to go near Star Wars when it's not come out for 15 years. Imagine being the guy to mess it up. So you don't want to be that person. And they're like, George, you should do it. And I feel like you can tell he hadn't directed for best part of since 77 when he would have done this in 97. So it was a long time to be out. Um, and I think I now appreciate a lot of things about it that maybe I didn't before from production and design to like the world building score some performances dare I say but like the truth is in most films you have a main character or a central well a main character and you see the film through their eyes and the audience gets to discover the world through them so Luke is a perfect example in A New Hope isn't he you're introduced to him super quickly He's in 16 minutes into the film. Here's Luke. He's fed up on this planet. He wants to escape. He finds out about this galactic war, yada, yada. And, you know, off he goes on the adventure and you you learn everything through him. Because essentially, like, you're finding out for the first time as he's finding out for the first time. In The Phantom Menace, in the first... You don't meet Anakin Skywalker till 30 minutes in. And the first half an hour, if I'm being kind, is a mess. Because you don't know who the lead character is. Like, is it Obi-Wan? Is it Qui-Gon? There isn't one. There, There isn't one. And I think that's where a lot of the criticism comes. And I think it's fair. Like, there's no two ways about it. But in terms of achievement of filmmaking, of combining practical and digital effects, like, people can't really remember pre The Phantom Menace. This was, like, the largest amount of special effects in one film put to screen. And the reason that modern blockbusters are the way they are, for better or worse, he basically invented that whole green screen filmmaking so you can change the backdrop at a later date he invented essentially in the non-linear editing systems being able to cut together four takes into one scene by like halving the screen and blah 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 because essentially he's like oh, i like that performance but i like that timing i like this performance and that timing and he cut them all together fincher does this all the time i think we've talked about it before and like all these techniques happen from the george lucas is brilliant at pushing technology like when he made ilm because in the 70s, there wasn't anyone to make the special effects he wanted. And then again, he had to wait until Jurassic Park came out in 93 when he realised, right, okay, like, the technology's there, I can do my Star Wars prequels. And yeah, I don't agree with all the decisions with them. I, But I still think a lot should be appreciated for, like, what it's done and how it's genuinely shaped the filmmaking landscape. He even had the idea of the LED backdrop screens that were used for The Mandalorian before. They just didn't have the technology at the time of the prequels. The vision. So yeah, yeah, the but volume. Ge- yeah, but genuinely, like I, I thought when you said vision, I thought you said like he has the vision, and I do think he does. I think he's always been an innovator, and I think he's that as much as he's a filmmaker. That's nice. Anyway, let's actually do a very very quick synopsis. Yeah, can, so John, the IMDb you- synopsis is very very simple, but. The IMD synopsis goes like this. It says, two Jedi escape a hostile blockade. Hold on, hold on. Go on. I'm really sorry to stop you. Go. Do you think, can you, do you would you be able, so my main issue with okay. this film is that I don't have a clue what's going Shall on. I, okay, I'll scroll off and yeah. you want me to explain the plot. Of I would like, I want you to, I want you to tell the listeners what this film is about. Because so, I, so Jamie refused 30, to even read the opening crawl until I like fast forwarded, but yeah. Um, at, at 34 years old, right, <laughs> I've watched, I've watched and rewatched probably... A few thousand films at this point, right? And but you don't understand The Phantom Menace. And I don't understand The Phantom Menace. I think it's something to do I with, I was explaining like, it to you about the Emperor's rise to power and, like, how he uses the situation. It's really funny, right? So, before John 
he's, he's let him compose himself. But before he attempts to explain what the Phantom Menace is about, mm-hmm. one of the main reasons why I don't know what it's about because like we were, I went around his to watch it. And by the way, this is how nice John is. He's just bought some new front spe- front facing speakers. Um, we won't go into that. Um, and he bedded in his new speakers by playing quiet music, basically. Since he he got them, installed them, and just had quiet music playing all day to yeah, bed two, them in. Two days, two days prior to bed them in. Yeah, bed them in for me coming round. And by yeah. the way, it's a great sound system. Must say, John, well done. Um, <laughs> and so he was like, because uh, he, 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 he was so excited about watching the Phantom Menace, and he knows so much about it, which is brilliant. And everyone's going to have a brilliant time listening to him talk about it. He's like, I'm, I'm really, I'm, he, he, he like keeps like, talking, oh yeah, and this bit, this bit. He's like, right, I'm going to stop now. I'm going to stop now. Trust me, for two hours and 14 minutes or whatever, he didn't stop. <laughs> so that's maybe one of the, I know loads of facts about the film, but I don't know yeah. what went on. So John, okay, would you like to explain this extremely convoluted plot to the kids film? Essentially, there has been a, an invasion of Naboo by the Trade Federation. The Trade Federation have invaded it because they've been told to by Darth Sidious. Darth Sidious is Senator Palpatine, who is actually a Chancellor, no, is a MP, for lack of a better word, on Naboo. He staged this so he could basically get rid of Chancellor Valorum, who is the current political leader. By getting rid of Chancellor Valorum, by offering a vote of no confidence, he gains power, which is his first step to becoming the emperor we all know now for people who think this is unrealistic this is how hitler came to power and this is what um uh lucas based it off which basically he incrementally got more and more power stage by stage and worked his way up the system and he said that was the basis of like what the emperor is doing in this film the side plot is the jedi find out about this but they don't know who's behind it so we were introduced to obi-wan kenobi and qui-gon jinn they go to naboo to um well before that they go to try and organize a peace mission and it fails miserably so they go down to Naboo and they unfortunately Qui-Gon saves Jar Jar Binks Jar Jar Binks owes him a life debt which means that he has to be with him for life Mr. Jar Jar Binks that's that's not bad and then he yeah then the opening 20 minutes is mad then then we go underwater then we're in the Gungan city then they go off in a (laughs) It's mad. Go off in a submarine. Then they get to Naboo. Then they're at the palace. Then they save Natalie Portman's uh, Queen Amidala. Then they go off planet. Then they run away. They get past the blockade somehow. Then they end up on Tatooine. And that's the first half an hour. And it, and this is the problem. Like, it is insane. And there's a, there's a behind-the-scenes documentary where Ben Burtt, who did the sound design for the original Star Wars, but was also one of the editors on Phantom Menace, George Lucas is like, yeah, it's evocative and it's like this new style and it just has to be that way. It's like we're pushing the audience. Ben Burtt's like, you go from happy to sad to like instant action to like you know it's a lot for the audience to take in and basically lucas turns around and be like well it can't be any other way now so you know like it is what it is um and yeah and then we're introduced to anakin we find out that he has the highest midichlorian count ever and at this point people will get angry because midichlorians didn't exist prior to this film yeah we're, we're quantifying quantifying the, the force, force fine i i that bit never really bothered me but whatever um so therefore yes uh anakin then they need to get parts to get off tatooine and he says he'll win them in a pod race he enters a pod race and you find out about his jedi like reflexes in this amazing pod sequence which is aged surprisingly well for 1999 brilliant 
Um, really good fun some of the best surround sound fun you'll have I think like some great noises in there and then yeah essentially they get back to Naboo and there's a big big war and it's like Gungans and Naboo people together versus droids and then we get to witness the best fights in probably all of the Star Wars 6 films well 9 films sorry now which is Duel of Fates which is one of the best action scenes and it's like it's like by that point Lucas had ramped up and remembered how to direct because like he nails that all of that he absolutely nails um, and yeah we get the big end battle sequence you get a kind of mini Death Star-esque situation with fighters having to take something down which we've seen four times in nine films uh, yeah but it's fine but um, so look it's, it's it's a hard one because so much happens so like that's probably sounded like really sweeping and really disinterested but it's very difficult to go into like everything that's essentially the basic I haven't even mentioned they go to Coruscant for Senator Palpatine to become the new Chancellor or whatever yeah but it's basically all been staged to get him to rise to power and it also means he then gets access to Anakin Skywalker and he knows that he can manipulate um, Queen Amidala Padme and he knows he can um, manipulate Jar Jar Binks did George Lucas plan this when he wrote it in 1995? I'm not 100% sure. Was it all retrofitted for the later two? I don't know. But, hey, why, why, so why did I pick this film? I think is probably the important thing for this week. Like, why did I choose it? Well, I've said my reasons about when I first watched it and all those things, but I love the sound design of this film. I think it sounds incredible. Like it's all those Star Wars noises, sound and ambience you remember and a whole whole load more. Like Lucas loves like creating new worlds and there's so many new planets in this film. Like you can't knock it. The fact you see Coruscant for the first time, you see Naboo. Um, yes, I know we're on Tatooine for a fair chunk of it as well. But um, he just nails like designing. I know he hires people to do this, by the way. He's not just sat there drawing it all himself. But like all that design for the different aliens and creatures and like it's just incredible and John Williams score I think it's probably around that one Revenge of the Sith are two of my favourite scores that he did of that era of the 2000s um, but Jewel of Fates is a banger I mean Jamie how excited were you when Jewel of Fates was coming on it was like yeah it's good to go I'll tell you what like when Darth Maul is unveiled as the doors open dun, 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 and he looks dun, dun, up dun, dun. and Jewel of Fates starts playing that's that so for me i i feel like that part there could be my favorite part of the whole entire same like prequel trilogy because the music is the music is just breathtaking like genuinely breathtaking that that is like ah it's money in it like and and i think seeing darth maul i think so one of one of my favorite like i I must say, I loved this as a kid. I loved all three of them as a kid. I, I tell you, here you go, right? Here you go. Here's Jamie's favourite cred- is a highlight. Here's me losing all credibility now. Um, growing up, my favourite was Attack of the Clones by... Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, and I don't know why. I think it's because Anakin... When Anakin duels, has the, the double lightsaber... As, no, it's not a double lightsaber, but he, he wields two lightsabers. It's not even that about, good. No, but, but I realise now, right, that but it's, the, it's one of the first times you really see him fight and challenge properly. So yeah. when he has those two lightsabers, and do you know what's funny? When I, look, when I watch it back now, I realise he has them for about 10 seconds. No, and it's like, it's like less than a minute, off. I reckon. Honestly, it's so I small. think so as well. I remember at uni, um, you being like... So I had them all on DVD then. And Jamie used to be like, Attack of the Clones is the best one, you know. I'd be like, 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that I just sit and watch it. I remember one day, <laughs> I mean, this realisation would be like, Attack of the Clones is really bad. I was about to swear, but I won't. I was like, Attack of the Clones is really bad. Like, this this isn't it. And I think the best yeah. prequel, if anyone cares, I think probably it is Revenge of the Sith. I think it has the most moments. I don't think, I think that's... I it's quite a common opinion, I'd probably think. I think I'd actually opinion. have Phantom Menace second to that, and then I'd probably have Attack of the Clones third. Um, but... Yeah. Hey, um, I think some things that pleasantly surprised Jamie and I when we watched it the other day was the CGI hadn't dated as much as I thought, but there are, it's weird, there's some scenes which like could have been released last week. Some scenes also look like they could be released last week by Marvel. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's, yeah, there's somewhere you can see they were just, there was just too much to do. There was like so much, like this was, I think, quadruple almost like the amount of shots that have been done previously in one film is way more than Jurassic Park there's almost CG in every scene I, 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 I pretty much guarantee there's a yeah. shot of the behind the scenes Lucas had like all the storyboards up but he has a pink highlighter and a green it was like green's real pink's fake right like CG sorry and he was just like pink 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 and like you can see the production team being like oh my god like how are we actually going to manage this and he's literally talking about how like they have to do it on time and budget because otherwise they're going to go bankrupt and blah 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 it's insane absolutely yeah. insane um, but considering all those things it's quite incredible how good it looks and again context for 1999 so this is pre like this is pre good CGI films anyway like this is the start of good CG um, I thought Watto still looked really good I thought he's a good character um, Watto is one of the best characters I like the fact that there's a good mix in this film of the there's more miniatures in this film than the entirety of the original trilogy is the quote I've seen before um, and I feel like they did a really good job in this one of mixing the model work with the real footage and also with some digital stuff. I thought that really blended it well together. But they kind of went off that with the following two films, which is kind of sad, really, because I thought it worked really well in this one. Um, but I'm guessing it's due to time and money. It probably seemed easier. If they got a CG model, you can move it and replace it a lot easier than building a model for months yeah. and have to put it up so I, under- I understand that and I feel like I am one of those people that's like why don't they use models more well models are actually super expensive they're really hard to do right and they they took a lot of time and effort and I feel like CG is like also takes time and effort no two ways about it but there's more flexibility to a change as you go which is part of the problem like with these Marvel yeah. films where they're saying like oh we'll give you this shot but there's 15 variations of it and then the, and then like they have no time to finish to like a good standard the one was back in the day if you had a film only had 20 or 30 special effects shot they looked better than some modern ones because they had the time because that was the shot do you know what i mean like they put all yeah. their resources too much tinkering that nowadays. moment yeah and it's almost like the the amount of options is is shafting you more the model work yeah the model work looks so good. fantastic the, the blend yeah. of model work with the CG looks looks really really good. I think Naboo is um, beautiful as well. I, I, like whenever I see it, I'm like, I want to go. Like I went to a part. So part of it's in Seville, and I joked my my honeymoon. I went and had a photo right by where one of the scenes from Attack of the Clones takes place there. But like it is just a stunning kind of well design they've come up with. Like this beautiful like natural like green space with like this amazing like Venetian city in the middle, and it, it looks incredible. Yeah, my, my main one of my like some of my main issues with the look of the film. Mm-hmm. is that we watched the 4K upscaled oh, version God, and the yeah. the main issue with, with this and John will speak about probably the the main issue with George Lucas in terms of what he, what he the kinds of things he does 
but they've they've used DNR on the 4K version, which is for anyone that doesn't know, which is digital noise reduction. So basically, what it does is it removes the film grain from. So it removes the film grain to make the film look um, more digital, um, and which. But what that results in is that there's there's so many. I would say that the film across the board is just completely inconsistent. Inconsistent in yeah. the way it looks. Yeah, it's crazy. Like Jamie the, was saying to me, he was like, "How? Why does that look like DVD now?" And I'm like, "I don't know, mate. I just, I, I don't know." Well, well we we kind of come to the conclusion that the they'd they'd basically um, upscaled the cinema version and they had left out the extended version. Sorry, yeah. So so when Phantom Menace got released on DVD, and this is another thing amazing for George Lucas. When the DVD came out, it one had some of the best special features, but two, he was like, "Oh, the pod race now shows the full three laps rather than just the the two that are shown in the theatrical cut." Jamie and I said some of the worst looking parts of the bits that are on the DVD cut that didn't make the full one. But anyway, um, so yeah, he tried to include those things, but I feel like they weren't prepped for like a 4K restoration, and they just the colors were off, weren't they? It just it seemed weird. Considering Star Wars is like prize product, it didn't look as as good as it could. Yeah, exactly. Um, there was there was a lot of like soft, very soft shots. And- I think that though is genuinely just mistakes made on set. Because when like if you Mission Impossible, not the most recent one, the one before, there's like a whole end scene which is soft. And like I remember someone asking asking Christopher McQuarrie, why did you use that take? He said it was the best performance, even though it was soft. So I used it. So I'm guessing Lucas went on on that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I said to you, we we were watching it throughout, and I said to you that the film, and I, I could be wrong, like because I am just armchair critic, but the film felt out of focus so often, and I don't know whether a lot of that was because of the CG that was in it. So the compositing, CG, I think, yeah, the CGI character in it, the other characters look, they just look out of focus. So it's it's very very fuzzy and blurry and. It's just crazy, and one of I think along with that there was so there's the people say that like Lucas George Lucas was overwhelmed by the scale of the film. Um, he kind of I think when he finished watching the original rough cut of the film, he was like quoted uh, famously as saying, "I may have gone too far in a few places." Yeah, yeah, um, and, it, and it's so funny that and it's like I may have gone too far in a few places. It's yeah, so good. And, and then the sound designer that John mentioned earlier on Ben Burt uh, Ben Burt said. It's a lot. Um, so, I think that the problem, if you look at if you look at the original trilogy, you just notice that the framing and it's nowhere near as busy. Whereas with this, it's like that. It's I would imagine it's what sixteen years after the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and Lucas hasn't directed in. What did you say? Thirty years. Well, he was the last one. He was seventy-seven, wasn't it? It was Star Wars. Yeah. So, so, so he's not directed in thirty years. So he's probably just come out of this and just tried to do what everyone else does and it's like go bigger and so when you've got the big mm. like massive army fight at the end and stuff some of some of the like John said earlier that the world building I really enjoy like the even the underwater city like looks looks great um, well, I say looks great like it's, it's a lovely idea um, that I think maybe- I think it did look great because it was darker any, any of the CG yeah, when there's that, like yeah. good use of light so Jurassic Park everyone always talks about great CG in Jurassic Park there's bits that look ropey in Jurassic Park and that's fine but they, they film it well the best CG in Jurassic Park is at night time it's the, the T-Rex in the evening looks fantastic because there's shadows to hide the lack of detail and the best stuff in this is all the underwater sequence where they're like oh there's always a bigger fish so like they're in the submarine they're getting chased by a big fish and then that fish gets 
eaten by a massive, massive brilliant. fish. That bit looks and brilliant. And it's so cool. And it's so weird and just like Lucasy and just like, what the hell? That's that's weird. A bit like the, um, it reminds you of in Empire Strikes Back when there's like the thing um, in the asteroid. They get oh, stuck yeah. in like the space. Yeah, yeah. Or, it's that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, so yeah, but yeah, I just, I think all that stuff looks great. Yeah, there's, there's some stuff that doesn't work as well, but I watched the Corridor Crew review of kind of, and they were very much saying, like, whatever you make of Jar Jar, he's the first fully CG realised character and he's photoreal in performance. Now, there's some scenes where you and I said, bloody hell, like, that looks like really, The close-up really of good. Jar Jar in the bongo. So w- yeah, when, they leave, yeah. when they leave the underwater city, I can't remember what it's called. It um, is the bongo, I think. Well, no, so, yeah, so the, the thing that they're in is a bongo. Um, but the close-ups of Jar Jar in the bongo... Look great. It looks incredible. Like, it looks like it could have been made today and it looks as good as I don't know some some I wouldn't say some cutting edge because cutting edge nowadays is Avatar 2 um, uh-huh. and this is maybe what kind of if you think about James Cameron waiting waiting many many years in order mm. to realise his vision of Avatar 2 I think what George Lucas was trying to do with Phantom Menace wasn't really achievable at the time like or it, maybe at the time it looked who knows? Like it, at the time, it probably it looked it looked great. I don't remember. He was but- very very upset when when Avatar came out. I remember him doing a thing saying there is nothing in Avatar that was not done for Revenge of the Sith or Attack of the Clones. His argument was there were already fully CG characters. There were I know it was different because of like the way the mocap was used, but it's not mocap, is it? It's performance capture they call it or something for Avatar. Yeah. But essentially, Lucas was quite upset because he felt like. He always feels shunned by the industry because essentially his films are financed by himself. So a lot of film studios don't particularly like him. Like he he pisses a lot of people off really by not doing things the way he should. He's not in the director's guild or he wasn't for a while after what happened with... They will let him put... You know, in Star Wars... he's not a good enough director? Well, no, because it's Star Wars. <laughs> they put the end credits at the end rather than at the start, which normally back then you had to have all your credits at the start of the film. So when he tries to do the same on Empire, they tried to find him. So he was like, no, nah, I'm just leaving. So he yeah. left. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah. It's it's interesting. I, I mean, every time I go back to the Phantom Menace, I kind of, I, it's almost like I'm expecting to see a different film, which sounds wild. But do you know what I mean by that? Like I try and... We had fun. And we, 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 we had great we fun. And like, and I, we had fun. I, yeah, and I remember going to see it when it was re-released in 3D. And I went with um, Friends of the Pod. PMB yeah. and like we like we still loved it and we've got to we've got to talk about the controversy. So I remember when I initially saw the cast. I said when I initially saw the cast when I was older and I hadn't seen Phantom Menace for a while and I was thinking about the cast. If you said you've got Hugh McGregor, Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman, you're probably thinking get me some good performances in there. Well, actually, <laughs> actually, do you, do you know what I mean. I would say that I would say that's the case for Liam Neeson. Uh, sorry, I would say that's the case for you, McGregor, Liam Neeson. Natalie Portman was sixteen. True. Okay. Fair. Fair. But you know, and, and she's, she's gone and done oh, amazing yeah. things, and she'd already done Leon by then. Let's be clear. Like Leon's a fantastic film. It, or it the shows assassin, that what someone called. can do when they actually have decent um, direction, script, and direction. Let's talk about it. So, right, you, McGregor, joked that his time on this film was he'd walk into a room and be told to look up and down. Like that's how he described it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably fair. Um, Liam Neeson signed on without reading the script if that's true excellent he's so excited about Star Wars yeah so excited about Star Wars um, yeah I mean look my my thing is because there's not initially 
Qui-Gon wasn't in the first draft. The idea was Obi-Wan was solely already a Jedi Master. He went to... So the film's basically the same, but without Qui-Gon. And he gets uh, Anakin and trains him, etc, etc. So I kind of feel like it would have been better then because you would have followed um, Obi-Wan as the lead character the whole way through. By actually introducing Qui-Gon, you've got another element of someone to not really follow the plot with. Do you agree with that? As much as I like Liam Neeson, yeah, it kind of feels like it's splintered. Then, like who you're supposed to follow and see the world. Splinter, from. love that little tangent, mate. Never mind. We'll talk in the hours. We'll talk about Splinter later. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, Qui Gon Jinn is, um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't really. I have an issue with probably pretty much every single character in in the film except Darth Maul. Um, because who, he doesn't talk. <laughs> Darth, Darth Maul, who. At is, last we shall reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last yeah. we shall have revenge. <laughs> Brilliant. Like, he, he's, the thing is, Darth Maul is the best villain probably I've ever... I've ever... One of the best films I've ever seen. He like, should have been kept for all prequels. I feel, again, talking of mistakes, like Lucas created a bad guy for each one, but then people would say, oh, well, you don't get Count Dooku and you don't get this, you don't do that. I honestly feel like if you'd have just had Maul suffer a blow like get his arm chopped off Lucas loves an arm chop off or a leg chop off and he came back for the next one with mechanical leg or whatever I feel like it would have added a through line he could have been part of the reason why Anakin turned because Anakin hate the fact that he killed Qui-Gon and then he starts to like manipulate him and then you know there could have been so he's many too, things yeah, they could have done hard, that mate. he's too hard to be to be done in the first film like he's got a double-edged lightsaber that we've never seen before he he arrives so oh god right Darth Maul man let's talk about him sorry Ray Park like, by the way I love Ray Park the first time you see Darth Maul right he is a blue hologram and you don't see his colours and so that the one thing about that is that I love that choice like I love the choice whether it was it was probably a complete accident um, but the choice of like not seeing him and then the first time he's unveiled we see that he's like red and black with yellow eyes and horns on his head. And, and it's like an earring because he forgot to take his earring out. So then they had to like build it into the character. Love that. Exactly. Well, I love it, mate. I love it. He's, he's, he's a punk Sith. Yeah. Um, so the fact that he has then been, and the thing is we, we can say that they've, they've done that. They've done the same thing in the sequel trilogy when they, when they kind of killed off Snoke with, within two seconds, mm. which was another strange um, thing to do but I, actually The Last Jedi we're going to talk about that later actually because we've got some questions mm. um, but the fact that Darth Maul is such a strong character and he is killed off pretty tamely really like it's quite sad um, really breaks my heart and then you've actually got the rest of the characters who none of them I really do care for um, Ewan McGregor had just done Train Spot, in which he's oh, yeah. absolutely fantastic in so you know that the guy can act like he's a, he's a brilliant actor um, and so I think we can surmise that across the three films it really is I mean by the third one yes there was much better acting they also had a so, coach didn't they for like the dialogue scenes by the third one they got yeah. like a I think so, it was like a yeah, and, yeah. sorry go on certainly, well certainly Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones I would sort of so I would say that I've written down here that it's potentially one of the worst screenplays I've ever seen um, <clears throat> the characters are constantly making silly decisions and this is by the way like I'm obviously poking holes in it like I am I have just I've just spoken for ages about all the things that I love because there's loads that I love about it but the, the yeah, thing there's that, things there's the things wrong with it there's like there's I, the things that the, the thing that glues the film together is the storyline which 
is it's a kids film and i mean give me give me this right now i wrote this quote down hold on um this is palpatine right in the kids film right this is palpatine in the kids film Oh, I love I'm going to do his voice as well. Oh. Will you defer your motion to allow commission to explore the validity of your accusations? It's a kids' film, mate. And and John was sitting there, and they were like the bit where it, they're, they're kind of so the the film is basically about taxation politics. of trade routes. Yeah, it's about taxation politics, of trade routes. That's like the backbone of this film. Where really, the the backbone of the film should have been we we we're going to find. The, the Jed like the chosen one to bring balance to the Look, force. Lucas was trying to, and I, again, I'm playing devil's advocate because I, if you ask me honest opinion, Phantom Menace is probably a six out of ten, but my enjoyment of it is probably a nine out of ten. If I'm being honest, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't think it's a nine out of ten, but yeah. my enjoyment is like that high. If not, a do 10, you know what? But do you know what? My actual like, if someone said critical review, what is it? It's a six out of ten. I know where all the flaws are with that film. There's there's Bad, there's bad performances that are in there. Jake Lloyd says yippee too many times. That's oh, not his fault. Yippee! He's, he's been directed now, to do it. this is podcasting. Yeah, I don't mind <laughs> this is pod racing bit, but I think another part of the problem with this film, and like people don't really raise it enough, is like Natalie Portman's character, the Queen Amidala, is pretending to be her handmaid and Padme for the whole film. So we don't even have a gauge on who she is by the end of the film anyway. Do you know what I mean? A whole thing. She's just the person that speaks like... I'm going back to Naboo. I'm I'm regal, so I have this voice. I don't. It's like yeah, it's it's all very monotone, one note, monotone, and blah blah blah. And she's supposed to be like 14 or something, which is also weird. But whatever, is what it is. Um, I do think one of the performances I do enjoy is Penelope August, who plays Shmi Skywalker, and I also think she does one of the best scenes in Attack of the Clones. She's brilliant. She has the sequence where Jake Lloyd's character Anakin, um, is like off on his new adventure he's walking away from her and then he like he runs back and Jamie says to me he feels like he felt in the force that his mum was sad so he, he ran back and I've never thought that I thought he was just a kid but now he's said it I'm like I like that if it's a thing who knows if it is yeah John liked that John loved my insight I, no I did because it's again it's like re-watching it with someone and having completely different like insight into it that's the whole point of why we listen to the pod and do all these things and he's like he's like I just can't do it mum I just can't do it and then she's like you know We've got to go. You got to do it, and we will see each other again. It's like, oh, you will, but it'd be pretty miserable. But um, and ten off years, he goes. Ten years down the line, you and could, then you, you could hear, have come and got me earlier. You hear the force theme, and it's like ripping through, and it's glorious. And yeah, there's, and I think, do you know what? It's a mad comparison, but it's like you know when you have something like Euphoria season two, which has amazing moments, but you still know it's messy. That to me is like what the Phantom Menace is. There's amazing moments and amazing scenes and amazing imagery, but in the middle, there's sometimes just a lot of mess. However, the performances in Euphoria, even when they're bad, are far better than this. But that's that's just a random. Euphoria function. season two is the new <laughs> Alien three on this part. It's not basically. Yeah. Also, like really random shout out to Kate for watching both seasons of Euphoria and messaging me about every single episode for like two weeks. It was absolute bliss. Anyway, um, Ian McDiarmid, uh, Dermid, sorry, being returning as Senator Palpatine. That's good fun. And like, what? What in Rise of the Skywalker? No, in this when I'm he's joking, doing, man, his, I'm joking, he's doing his sideway that? looks like all the time, and like he's like trying to not be evil, but it's quite clear he's a manipulating git. It's good fun. Um, it is good fun. It, it, it's, there's a lot. There's a lot of. There's a lot of good fun to be had, and I think that the some people it. kind of like um, put. They don't like. So right, I've, I do want to just go down and just just say little bits and pieces. Like go for it. The 
I love that the... So we're basically like introducing a new audience to what Star Wars is, right? Yeah. Um, hence why we've got Jar Jar Binks and stuff, which... And and part of that was like, I did find him incredibly annoying. Although I, I forgot how long, how much he was in it, which really just did my head in. Like, I was like, God, he really is in it. And, and then, then I started watching Attack of the Clones and I was like shit he's in this one as well like, god damn it like he, doesn't he bob his tongue out to camera or something in attack of the clones it's like a big middle finger to the audience like at the start i don't know man. i think he does I, but he's the yeah, reason anyway. that it all goes to pot anyway he's the one who votes for um the chancellor to get like the the power to basically be space hitler yeah and sort the clone army so there you well go. yeah so i love how the, in the beginning they show how dangerous the lightsabers are like so I think for one of the first times in, like, we kind of really do see it in Return of the Jedi. That's like when, mm. when Luke arrives in Return of the Jedi and he's wearing, yeah. wearing all black. I think that's so Chokes cool. Chokes out some people as well in that one, you forget. Yeah. So people, so it's really funny because I've, I've got a mad ranking of the Star Wars films. Um, but Return of the Jedi, like when he turns up in all black and like he's got his green saber and he, he just, he's really like just showcasing it. Showcasing that lightsaber. Look at me jazz hands um but in this one uh you you begin it and and qui-gon jinn is like ramming that lightsaber into the door to like melt the door oh god so like, all that opening sequence like the music everything like seeing two jedi in their prime just like absolutely smash down like 50 odd droids it's just bliss i think that's what i think that's what the audience would have wanted like that absolutely that, that part there the audience is like You've been clamoring for it for years, like you and and you you're seeing them just in action. So I really, really love that. And again, the way the lightsaber duels evolve throughout the three films, I just think is is brilliant. And I remember that's the one thing I did think because I probably watched The Phantom Menace before Star Wars in nineteen seventy Star Wars nineteen seventy seven. So oh, wow. I was like, when it got when it gets to the penultimate moment, and you've got kind of um, you've got Ben Kenobi fighting Darth Vader and he's, he's like just and they're old I was like oh god Phantom Menace is well better <laughs> so well um, yeah I, I mean that's as in the yeah. action sequences yeah you Sorry. know I know I know and I think and, I think yeah as a kid so I realise now I realise now growing up that the there's there's a reason why they're, they're very very different so I'm not saying they're better I'm just saying they're, they're just very different so yeah like the I think the the choreography for the Incredible. Nick, Nick Park, I think, was it? He did all the choreography. We'll probably ought to check that. I but. think the guy Ray Ray. No, Ray Ray, Ray Park is is the Darth Maul. I think he was involved guy. in a lot of the choreography as well. Um, so That's yeah, like I, I mean, there's loads to love, and there's really quite a lot to dislike. And unfortunately, for a kids' film, you you said it yourself you, when you had the VHS, as did I. You would fast forward past anything the... on Coruscant. So you so, get to Coruscant, yeah. skip, 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 and yeah. then get to back on the boo. That's where you want to be. Um, exactly. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna lie. Exactly. So, shall we? Do you think we should answer some questions? Yeah, I think I think we should because it's it's hard to have folks on this. So we had uh, one in, we had two in from Sertone Reviews. He said, "Do you think Lucas fumbled the ball with trying to inject political talks about trade routes and trade federations instead of sticking to the origin story of Anakin? Who gives a boop of trade routes?" Um, I think I've already answered this, which is it's not clear. But the background story of all of this is: look at the rise to power of the Emperor. And I feel like he didn't make it obvious enough that's what he was doing, but that's what it is. And I feel like that's why he introduced things about the trade routes to give like some 
reasons to why that is the case. Factory However, routes. it like, is also dull. We Let's are talking about. This. We are talking about. We're literally talking about trade routes. Like it, it's oh, mad, isn't it? Yeah. In like a space war. Film. Yeah, yeah. But so I, I that my. Yeah, I, look, it's not the most interesting bit and we just joked about it. You fast forward it on the VHS. But I would say that I feel like he genuinely was just trying to give some history to Star Wars and like, go. sorry, this links this very, very briefly. Um, the fact that Lucas was showing us the pinnacle of society, so like everything's like super shiny and super sleek. It's before the war, before they've been at war for like five, ten years and like everything's battled and ruined and like the used future. We all know of Star Wars. The fact he needs something to kick that off and all the stuff for the trade federation is that but yeah it's not the you said people thing. didn't like that you said people don't people like didn't the like it no, of the... oh it doesn't look the same as the originals it's like well the whole point is it's showing like the best time of like the galaxy like when everything was at it's like most opulent and then it's kind of like how that deteriorated because it became functional and like you can see how the empire stuff was very like bog standard rinse repeat and like so was the the rebels and it's because it you know they the clone wars was for what five ten years or something i don't know so in that point like yeah. they basically were like doubled down on just making the same stuff same stuff same stuff like very uniform and then by the time like the original star wars takes place and a good 20 years later whatever it is like everything is like used and knackered because everything had been at war for so long across the galaxy I know this isn't real, so I don't know why I'm sounding so into it, but yeah. <laughs> Do you know it's not real? Yeah. Well, it could um, have happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but we'll never know. Yeah, was it was uh, Satones of a question relating to this, or was it later? Uh, sorry, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't, yeah, it was not a question, but the story of Anakin should have started as a young teenager. That way, he's turning evil by the end of Attack of the Clones, and we get him as Vader all through Revenge of the Sith hunting Jedis. So... Which is basically the plot of... Obi-Wan Kenobi series? No, um, the game, the PlayStation 3 game. Unleashed. Force Unleashed, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, So I would say that um, I feel like introducing to him as a child, I feel like would have been fine if, if... it was if they'd I, have chosen the actual blonde actor the, that was the auditioning actor. who's actually really no, good actor I, I, that aside I feel like it, if Obi-Wan would have been the main character in like a more solid screenplay and like we saw it through his eyes and he discovers the child and it's all more mysterious I feel like it could have been better I also feel like I understand the argument of him already being a teenager and then having two and three because the reason everyone likes three is because it has the most iconography of the original trilogy and people can see how it all links together that's why people like three um whilst one and two has less of that iconography so people don't like it as much so i kind of get the argument i feel like yeah if if they'd have found him at what 15 or something by the first one by the next one he's like early 20s but i still feel like him rushing to the dark side in one film would have been too much i still feel like he, like yeah, I agree. my criticism of Render of the Sith is he still jumps the shark pretty damn quick but what I would say is one of my favourite scenes in Attack of the Clones for its flaws is when he's racing to find his mum on the speed bike and it's playing Duel of Fates again and he's on the bike slamming mm. through the desert and then he basically like I shouldn't say it but you know when he's mauling all the Tusken Raiders after he's found out she's dead yeah. Oh, he's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> like, he's good, yeah. It's really, like, but it, for me, like that kind of brewing and setting up like his downfall is good at part again, like 
it's moments of brilliance and moments of like really good scenes and great iconography and imagery, but also a lot of tat in the middle. Um, okay. So, Jamie, sorry, you know, what did you think? Did you think young Anakin, t- teenage Anakin first in, in Phantom Menace? How would you feel about that? And um, then you get Sith hunting Jedi by the third one, but I would say Obi-Wan Kenobi's TV series has given us some of that, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, I love the idea of, I do love the idea of the Jedi getting hunted down like a kind of maybe a, like an assassin type. Yeah film like where there there's there's jedi that are in hiding and stuff that sound that sounds really cool well kenobi was supposed to be a film originally wasn't it and then they turned it to a series for, and i think it probably made it wide stretched at parts and wasn't as yeah good as i mean that, that's the problem like it's constantly getting stretched the the so yeah i mean i i love the idea of that i really do and mm-hmm. and <clears throat> i think that the thing that disappoints me the most about star wars in general and the thing that has always frustrated me about the, the whole thing and by the way I'm not an expert on Star Wars and I also no neither am I I'm also not well I would say you're, you're pretty close like you, you know quite a lot I mean the Star Wars fandom would maybe disagree but yeah exactly I think that the the thing that frustrates me the most about Star Wars is that there are such wonderful ideas throughout the trilogy throughout, throughout all nine films correct Mm, maybe no, 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 no. There are even even in Rise of Skywalker. There's yeah, some okay. there's some iconography and bits where you're like, oh my god, great idea. But yeah, but there's some wonderful ideas. There's some, there's some really really wonderful ideas, mm-hmm. and there's so I feel like there's so many places that we haven't explored, and what we have done instead is what Disney have done since. So since we've had the prequel, the the sequel trilogy, what Disney have done, like they've done with everything they own, pretty much everything that can kind of make money is they've like really been churning stuff out just just as usual just just like they've been doing with Pixar when they when they're like well we need to film a year now if you look at if you look how if you look at how Pixar's ramped up compared to what it used to be like we'd get mm, Toy Story one of three four years Ratatouille yeah yeah exactly you would you yeah. would really and and sort of Disney studio Disney animation studios as well you would get one every few years but now we're getting like three a year I think and so yeah. my, the problem with Star Wars is that for me they need to um we need to really carefully consider what we have and so you've got like people like yoda and and obviously obi-wan kenobi like and i can't really i can't really speak that eloquently on it because i don't i have i'm I'm done with the shows by the way like i'm done so mandalorian is a monster of the week show and it's got some great one of the best looking tv shows out there some great scenes but it's a monster of the week show essentially um very telling i never finished the third season I'm like three in and then never bothered, which says to me, I, I, and that says that says a lot know, about John because John I, watch any old shit as, as long as it's <laughs> any, any no, old Star Wars. If, if it's no, but if it's Star Wars or Star Trek, genuinely, even if I don't like it, I will see it out. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, no, exactly. The what I would say, yeah. So my, my problem is that Star Wars has some incredible ideas, world building, all that, and it's kind of really a, a lot of the time has been quite poorly executed so with again with with the the trade federation stuff it's just like nonsense that no one really cares about um it would have been better if it was just a bit clearer same as like so the, the scene in the scene in star wars um a new hope where like darth vader like you just he's introduced and he's like just get me the plans like just, i mean like you're very clear on like just what he wants and that and it's and it's clear like any any idiot can understand it and so now we've we're, we've just really convoluted it to like flesh out the world and stuff. And so 
that's probably my, my main, the saddest part about Star Wars in general is that I feel like it could be in the right hands something just and it, it is incredible because we've we have we, we peaked at empire strikes back um and, in and 1982 also, or whatever it was yeah and i also think that that's why and this is a this is a an opinion that people don't want to hear but i don't care the last jedi for me is is the best of the prequel films and it's the best sequels. films sorry the best of the sequel films and it's the best film since probably revenge of the sith and i think it's probably the third best star wars film but people didn't like the fact that, oh, but but Obi-Wan would never do that. He would never hurt, Luke. what's his name? Yeah, but at the same time, right, we're also accepting the fact that, we're also accepting the fact that, I'm on a big rant now, we're also accepting the fact that in The Phantom Menace, that Yoda's like, that, that um, Qui-Gon's like, well, I'm, well, I'm going to train him anyway. And Yoda and Mace Windu are like, yeah, right then, go, go and train him then. So, so there's a lot of character flaws throughout it, and there's a lot of stupid things going on. So, what, what are you criticizing the Last Jedi just because of one um, thing that Luke Skywalker's done? But really, it's a very brave film from Ryan Johnson, and, and I think that's the kind of filmmaking we need to see for Star Wars. Ryan Johnson, in his defense, did accept the prequels into his film, so the whole stuff on the casino planet is very Star Wars prequels in that film, which is the bit people don't like. I would say that the whole issues about Luke's characterization, I feel like there's too many programs where you catch up with a character like Han Solo and nothing had changed in 40 years. He was still still yeah. on the Falcon. He was still doing the exact same yeah, stuff. Th- yeah. There was no like he's an admiral or he's retired or there's no there's no development or he's or he's an alcoholic. Do you and, know what I mean? Like, weird, yeah, but it's weird. Like that's kind of what audiences wanted. But it's like yeah, but also that sucks. So for Luke, they tried to give him something different. Like he'd had a crisis of faith. Essentially, he refound his, his faith. I love and his arc. He had a new. He knew that the reason his dad turned to the dark side was because the old Jedi way was crap. The old Sith way was crap. So he wanted to make a new way. Essentially, and by the end of that film, he's discovered there is a balance between the dark and the light, etc., etc. So yeah, I yeah. I, Again, frustrating. I'm, I'm thinking about those sequel films now. There's moments of them I really enjoy. There's bits I don't enjoy. The, my biggest issue with the sequel trilogy is that it had it clearly didn't have a plan of the three films. And people can say the original trilogy didn't, but I feel like when you've got three different, well, two different directors in the end because they got rid of the one who was supposed to come in for the last one. But when you've got three different directors initially and you haven't got a coherent through line of where it ends it's worrying and like it's it it meant that eight left it in a position where nine had to kind of spend the first half an hour much like the phantom menace actually rectifying previous issues to like get it all to make sense to then if seven and if if to be fair for his sins if uh what's his name abrams had done seven eight and nine i wouldn't have liked them as much but they probably would have been more coherent as a trilogy and I feel like that's the problem is like it's not coherent but anyway back on the prequels we had another question by views by, from views by Quinn he said since the prequels get a lot of hate what are some positive things you'd think they did really well I think we've touched on this briefly but I'll rattle through again I think music I think it John Williams absolutely nails it I think the sound design is fantastic for those prequels I think the integration of CGI model work especially in The Phantom Menace is very good I think that by the time you get to Revenge of the Sith I feel like Lucas has found his ebb and flow back for direction I feel like there's better performances I feel like the action's better the tempo it's all there it's a longer film but it feels shorter because the tempo's right um, I feel like 
Um, the depiction of Anakin, which people took issue with, Hayden Christensen, the reason he's monotonal and has that voice is because he was actually emulating the speech pattern of Darth Vader. Once I realised that, I can actually really get more behind his performance because I can see what he was trying to do. I can get slightly more behind it. Yeah, because you can see like what he was going slightly for. Slightly more. I also feel like, basically, he's a space monk, angry teenager who's pent up with rage and sexual frustration, so I can understand a lot of his performance in Attack of the Clones. Quigon says, I'm not ready. I'm Everyone. better than yeah. him in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, oh, man. Yeah, I know. That bit I know, at the beginning of Attack of the Clones. But, you know, he's like an 18-year-old, peed-off, whatever, you know, and he's never kissed a girl and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, he's just, he's just, yeah, he's, he's not having a good day. Um, so what else do prequels do well? I, th- I think that's, and for me, the world building, the extra design, like all those things, like Lucas hates films are in the Star Wars universe that don't expand the lore and the worlds. He gets quite frustrated when they reuse iconography that he's already created over and over, which is why he got frustrated with the prequels. He said, it's what I wanted to make. I wanted to expand the world but it's not what audiences wanted to see, was he didn't like episode seven because he felt like it was pandering to fans by just giving them iconography of things they'd already seen, but a little bit different, which is exactly what it is, by the way. I hate episode seven, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't hate it, I just I feel like it's... It's, it's, like, a, it's a new hope. It's, it's pure, basically an updated new hope. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pure, like, um, comforting popcorn and Maltesers and a cheeky beer kind of evening. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Jamie, any things you would like to add that I haven't said that you think the prequels did well? Yeah, I mean, I agree that uh, John Williams is at the top of his game. Like, it's the sound design in the prequels is just unbelievable. Top notch. Um, yeah, unbelievable. And yeah, those those audio cues, the score is is amongst one of the best ever. Like one of the best ever. It just it feels like it hasn't missed a step from any of the the, the prequels. Oh, pretty cool. Wow, what's going on, man? The Sorry. middle films, the original trilogy. No, yeah, it's yeah. just so com- complicated, isn't it? Um, Sequels, so, prequels, yeah. originals. Yeah, um, a lot of the things that I I loved, um, and again, like I guess, I guess it's probably being like a martial arts fan. I really just enjoy the expansion of seeing the force, like more force pushes, yeah. all those kinds of things. Like the run, I really the speedy love, run. Yeah, you feel, <laughs> yeah, Naruto run. You feel like you you feel like you're you're watching the Jedi's in their, in their heyday. You know what yeah, I mean? Like absolutely. they're in their heyday. It's like, you get to go and see Lionel Messi back when he was at Barca, like 2009 prime. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's what, oh. that's what I love. So those, um, yeah, little football reference for you there. <laughs> um, so I love seeing that. Like I love seeing the, the power of the Jedi and stuff. Um, one of, and, and really the, the way the fights are choreographed across all three films, I think uh, are just brilliant and really move the series forward. I haven't um, even said like the final fight in the third one is still amazing. I know people yeah, said it went five over minutes the top, long, <laughs> but yeah, it's great. And I love like the fact like it's. I love the prequel meme stuff as well. I think that's definitely a positive thing which came of it. Because prequel memes are yeah, definitely like one of the got best. The high things. ground, Anakin. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, great. Yeah, so that and then and then I guess there's a few characters in. Um, in Phantom Menace, well, all three of them, there's a few characters that I just adore. So Darth Maul is still, and I'm sure they expanded his, I'm pretty sure they expanded his lore in the Clone oh, Wars. Oh, Jerry's got a which, whole thing. Yeah, which is great. Um, but it's a shame because I would have loved to have just, I'd, I'd really love to see what he's all about. Um, and then, and then, you know, like people probably hate this stuff, but General Grievous, man, like with his spinning <laughs> lightsabers, <laughs> brilliant like there's general grievous what's is... the situation general <laughs> that was a very good i'm upset but anyway whatever well general grievous is really really cool um 
And then, obviously, Sebulba is a fantastic oh, character, yeah. <laughs> um, which we didn't mention. He's um, th- We've still got that magic there like that does really transport you. Uh, this The reason why people watch Star Wars is to be transported, not to watch, um, basically, MPs in a building, because I've got that on BBC News. <laughs> That's the issue. That's the issue. That's the, pr- pretty much most of the issues. Um, so, yeah, and then, and then all the things that John mentioned as well, like there's... By the third one, the third one does. I do. Oh, sorry. Yeah, right. Go. One of my favorite. One of my. And this is one of the reasons why the Attack of the Clones. I used to love it so much. And it's it's the the fight with. Um, is it? Who or is it? Sun outside in the rain. Oh yeah, that's great with Django Fett. Sick. Oh, Django Fett. Love that. Unreal. Like so. So that. The, and the aesthetic it's hard as well like they're punching properly as well yeah it's the good. aesthetic of that, that that's one of the best action scenes in any Star Wars and film. this asteroid fight sequence with the sound design where it's the bombs that let off the noise absolutely adore it I yeah mean, Quinn do you know what there's there's loads to love there's there is so, loads like, to love I, I, I know Quinn's a fan of the prequels and like I feel like I absolutely am too but I'm more than and this is no criticism like I'm more than willing to admit their flaws but for me it almost doesn't matter as I said Phantom Menace is probably a 6 out of 10 in real time for me uh, do you know what? and my enjoyment is a 9 out of 10 I, I've, so, got, I've got no qualms about that <laughs> and I'd say I never, you know, for my enjoyment that's all, that's all yeah. I care about and I would say honestly um, I probably feel the same way for Attack of the Clones and then I'll probably give a higher score to Revenge of the Sith maybe a 7.5 maybe an 8 on a good day but for me again enjoyment wise Revenge of the Sith is probably a 10 so there we go yeah the, I think yeah for, so I think I, I fully agree like Phantom Menace is a pure 6 out of 10 if you really delve into I think if you for people that people really hate this film and I didn't realise just how much people hate The Phantom Menace like but I'm talking like there's half star ratings everywhere like yeah, one star and it's rating. not the amount it's of not. production design even if you it's not. hate the screenplay and even if you hate the performances you have to look at John all Williams the scores John Williams scores were four stars yeah I'm joking I'm <laughs> no, no but genuinely sorry. if you just take the craft behind what they've made because this is what annoys you, you and I when we've talked about people like oh it's half a star it's like if you knew how much effort it was to get that level of presentation on the screen before you even got to plot yeah. and stuff like what could you do you, yeah you you would be giving it more than half a star but anyway um we are where we are uh, yeah. sp- speaking of half a star though <laughs> what speaking of whoa <laughs> sorry no before we move on I've, i have got a couple of i've got a couple of questions sorry okay. um oh man the i'm shoe, joking like i'm when, joking i'm joking when the shoes on the other foot i don't think i like it um <laughs> Sorry, uh, David Ellis writes in. Um, he says, as he did with Empire, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. should George Lucas have handed over the screenwriting and direction yes. to someone else? Yes, and I think... Yeah. I While think... retaining overall control of the story, if so, who would have been chosen to write and direct? I believe one he, man. he couldn't get Lawrence Kasdan in, because Lawrence Kasdan's the guy who did the script for Empire, who everyone loves and adores, and it's like, if he, he he's on it, it's a good seal of approval. He also did the script for Solo, which I actually don't mind Solo. Um, I've not seen it, actually. That's, that's the only oh, film I've seen. That'd be good, good fun to watch with you actually because I think it's one of those where it got a lot of backlash because it was after The Last Jedi but anyway off on a tangent Okay, I believe yes he would have done and I believe that I think he wanted to I think people didn't want to touch with a barge pole because they were so worried about being associated with it if it didn't if it went wrong and I feel like we talked about this, this is why directors turn it down I don't know with writers if it got passed to other people I feel like it should have done 
but also with Star Wars it's probably really hard because there's so much world building and so much alien nonsense like it must be really hard to actually narrow it down to like get a decent plot out of it um, as we've seen with Force Awakens being a complete rip off of New Hope because they didn't know what to do and Last Jedi has some interesting decisions and Rise of Skywalker is like a video game movie so I feel like pe- everyone's struggled haven't they really um, yeah yeah I mean, for me, I mean, I think that, yeah, Lucas definitely would have... The films would have benefited... Too many yes. Not, yeah, the, the answer is yes. Like, the films obviously would have would have benefited. Um, in terms of the direction of the film, I mean, there's only one man for me that I would have had direct it who... Spielberg. Yeah, who's the greatest I think sci-fi he, I director. Think he, I know he... I'm pretty sure he'd asked him. And you've seen the footage of like yeah the together the together on set. People keeps going, oh, it's great. It's gonna be great. Everything's gonna be great. <laughs> it's just like I feel like that's what he had for like three years. People just be yeah. like, it's gonna be great. He's like, yeah. Um, or I mean, I mean, the, I mean, David Lynch, who was supposed to um, do Return of the Jedi. Imagine that would have been wild. <laughs> do you know what, man? Like, imagine. I, it, I can't imagine because I reckon I don't know which came first. Oh, I think he, I think he directed Dune first before this, right? Ah, uh, wasn't June? Yeah, it's before ninety nine, but it was like no, 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 no. Something. So June was nineteen eighty four, right? Dune was and Return uh, of the Jedi eighty four. Return of the Jedi was eighty three. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, it was. No, it was. So uh, Je- Jedi okay. Return of the Jedi is eighty three. June's eighty four. So what? seeing what David Lynch done with Dune, I think Return of the Jedi would have been a disaster at the hands of David Lynch in terms of what people wanted. People would not have liked a David Lynch. There's Star also rumours that he um, Lucas actually directed or shadow directed most of um, uh, what's it called, Return of the Jedi. There's a lot of said about like he actually directed it, but didn't. Right. Is, is it Richard Farquhar or he was a director or something? I've forgotten his name. Don't know. But um, anyway, tangent. Yeah. Yeah, it should have been Spielberg, and if it wasn't Spielberg, it obviously should have been Ridley Scott. I think Ridley Scott was also asked. I'm pretty sure he was. Well, why is no one doing it then, right? Cause it yeah, no, because it because, and I think this is fair, it hadn't been around for 15 years. And I think people were like, this could flop. Like, it wasn't guaranteed to succeed. So, but I, so do you know what? I think the most suitable director in terms of, like, in terms of the the nature of what Star Wars is, it's Spielberg. Because he's he can do kids' films. Like, he knows... Spielberg would have had the technical expertise from Jurassic Park as well, was my yeah. other argument, to be honest. Yeah. But... Anyway, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, which is it's, it's so sad, David. It's so, so sad. Um, but do you know what else might be a little bit sad? When we talk about this next one. Oh, we also didn't figure out, fear is the path to the dark side. And all that crap. Um, it's okay, I'll put it as the trailer. Well, yeah. Um, right, we're going to talk about one of my childhood favourites. Oh, man, I'm so... Do you know what? I watched, yeah, this, last, I watched this last Going. night, right? And, and I was like... Really, like, because I watched the number two before, and I've seen this film many, many, many times. Obviously, uh, we're talking about the live-action 1990 film *Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles*, directed by Steve Barron, written by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, the original writers of *Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles*, and also Bobby Herbeck.
Jamie. John, what's gone? What's happened? Like, what's happened? Uh, I mean, look. I, what happened? What do you mean what happened? I watched it. My my viewpoint is this. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is... So it's early 90s. I'm guessing the budget wasn't huge. Jamie might tell me otherwise. I think the budget was 15 million. I was comparing it to the Power Rangers movie because it's a nah. bit... No, no, before you go and say no... It's a children's IP, toy line. It's to sell the toys, and essentially, it's here's a live action thing to sell material, right? To sell to sell products. That is right. what it is. There are fight sequences in both of them. There are horrendously cheesy moments in both of them. I think the difference is I grew up with Power Rangers. I love Power Rangers. I love the suits. I love the iconography. I have absolutely no link or no appeal to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So watching this as a 31-year-old man kind of struggles to get behind concept or, or execution. <laughs> now, now, let's let's be fair. Jamie yeah, loves can the, you be fair? Jamie loves the score for this film. It's a good score. It's it's like 90s, 80, late late 80s, early 90s it's a bloody stuff. good score. It's cool. It's got good good moments. There um the we'll get into stops in a second. It takes place in New York. I think the depiction of New York is good. I think there's like there's actually some quite atmospheric shots in there. Good use of smoke and and what have mm. you. I feel like it's probably fair to say it's a better directed film than the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. I think that is a fair thing to say. I will and concede Santa that. Menace. <laughs> I wouldn't agree with that actually. To be honest, um, I feel like. I feel like Jim Henson's suits are genuinely incredible. There are some bits, but I was looking at it being like, it looked like so-and-so had a vein and it's just like all the rubber suit. I think that's incredible. I think that's really cool. And the fact of like how the performance can move in the suits is actually really impressive. Yeah. Especially, I haven't watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles CG films, but I've seen clips and trailers. I've seen them. I've got a feel for like how they move and like how how they've changed it. Um... But yeah, I just, if I'm being completely honest, I'm just watching at the wrong time. If I'd have seen this when I was anywhere from the age of five to about probably 13, 14, probably. Now, you're like, you're like, that's like low key taking the piss pro- out of me. Probably. If I watched this when I was five, <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have been on board. I would say, though, going into it cold. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you and, and I, me like that. I, I love the fact as well, it starts like full on like Robocop with like <sighs> a load of like news channels telling you the plot as it goes. Yeah. Um, very, very Robocop. Um, and, but without the kind of like, I, the, yeah, the, the other thing with this film is like, there's just there's just such weird iconography which I knew nothing about so like I didn't realise the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles which is weird enough but I'm willing to go with I didn't realise they were led by a giant rat who learnt karate from a master Kung Fu Kung Fu sorry when he was trapped in his cage by a master who was just practising in his bedroom but you've not took it too seriously right you didn't take that seriously I, I mean because it's not it's not it's, it's, it's quite know, obviously it's, like it's a comedy it says but like loosely um look did i take it seriously i feel like part of me i probably maybe i read it too seriously but like i also remember yeah. the power rangers movie i know what it's like ivan news does like a 70s dance and he's been under the ground for two thousand years so he doesn't know what 70s dance is which always annoys me so like you know like i get that in these films you get that stuff 
Um, but I just felt like please stop comparing it to like Power Rangers I can't like it's literally so much, this no, is so because, much better than Power no, no but that's that's my film like that and maybe yeah. I should have done that as a Phantom Menace but I think it's it was Power Rangers whoa where's my autograph book yeah, I, remember, I remember that all off I love it I love it but um, <laughs> yeah it's so this good is a different level my yeah, I I, I tell you Can what. Can I talk also, about the plot? Yeah, but one thing before actually, sorry, last thing, and then I'll let you go into plot and watch, like give it a fair assessment. I would say I didn't find them distinctive enough each character, apart from the fact they've got a different colour headband. I don't feel like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were distinctive enough because one of the questions on this week's pod is like, which one would you be? Blah blah blah. I was like, I probably know two of them, of the four, like. I think that's to, that's a that's a, a job. Not being problem. a fan. Like, I think is that not being a fan? You, you just don't know it that much. Like, yeah. And this is where I'm going to get into toxic fandoms in a bit. Um, I'm a toxic yeah. non-fan, but yeah, go. A toxic non oh. I'm joking. Yes, kind of. Feelings. Um, anyway, right. I guess the reason why I love this film is because it's great. I remember having this on VHS and for anyone, I know we have got fans of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles listening. John's like, John's reclined on his chair. He's got his hands behind his head and he's just listening. Have your moment. Yeah, yeah, thanks mate. Get, give um, us the synopsis as well, don't forget. I'm going to do the synopsis. I'm just going to tell everyone, this is my time, John. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's making me laugh. We've, so basically, the reason why I love it is because one, the I do think the the V the VHS box art and the poster box the poster art is unbelievable. I remember it. seeing that before I'd seen the film, and it's like just shows these big high rise buildings, this blue and purple skyline, and the turtles just popping their heads out of the sewer, um, and I just remember like oh yeah I've got it up yeah 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 lean green and on screen everywhere. But I do actually remember seeing the VHS now you now yeah. you told me to look at that so. The, the basically for the, for those who don't know the the film is about and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are um, it's about the Foot Clan who are running riot in New York City um, so the film's based in New York City um, they've got this big gang called the Foot Clan who are it's basically made up of well they're described in the film as where the the world has shunned them like rejects like teenagers young impressionable people that the Foot Clan have been recruiting to basically just go and ransack Gangs. everywhere like, yeah just it's just kind of gang stuff like stealing purses stealing TVs all these kinds of things and there's like lots of like there's some funny bits where like they, they've stolen that woman's watching TV she looks away and then the TV's gone like silly bits like that and then they hang out at this like frankly quite amazing place that I'd definitely be part of the film. It looks like somewhere, for anyone who lives in the Midlands, it absolutely looks like somewhere you find in Digbeth, isn't it? Basically, it's just like a a massive warehouse with a few arcade machines, bang on. Yeah, and a half pipe. Like, it looks looks incredible. Um, So, so yeah, the Foot Clan are running riot. Um, The leader of the Foot Clan is obviously Shredder. um, And we have four turtles. We've got four turtles. We've got Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, and Donatello. Um, We can notice them quite clearly distinctively by their personalities and um, their weapons and also the colour of their headbands so that it's quite distinctive and easy to recognise and so um, we also so we also have um, their their mass they live they live underground they live in the sewer because they're turtles they're life-size turtles so they're probably like I don't know the height of a 
five foot nine man or something. They love pizza. They get they loads of pizza, pizza deliveries. I enjoy yeah, that. They love it's pizza. and Especially sponsored by Domino's as well. Don't yeah, forget that. Sponsored by Domino's. And they have a master who is Master Splinter, who is a giant rat. Now, <laughs> the way the way these turtles became like this was because, of course, radioactive ooze. So they got, they got hit with some radioactive ooze and that's what caused them to grow. Um, now, we also, in, in amongst all this, we have... Um, we have April O'Neil, which everyone knows, in her bright yellow overalls, which actually was depicted from um, the, not the comics, but the TV show, the 1987 TV show. Um, mm-hmm. And she's played by Judith Hogue, who I think's great. She is good um, at this, actually, to be fair. Yeah, she's brilliant. So she's a news reporter. And the thing I love about her, it's got, do you know what? It's a breath of fresh air after watching Phantom Menace. Like, And I don't mean this in a bad way to Phantom Menace, but it just is in terms of, it's just a very easy to follow story. Um, and we've got April O'Neil tried to uncover the Foot Clan and bring luck. She's a news reporter and she's basically getting heckled by the Foot Clan. I say heckled, like she's she's getting like... Beat her up, mate. And beating her up and stuff. Um, and that's how the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles save her. Um, we've also got a character called Casey Jones, who is perfectly depicted in this. Um, definitely as opposed to the way he's the pic- depicted one. in the Out of the Shadows um, number two of the, the 2014 adaptation. He's also in... Um, Elias uh, Cotias. He's in loads of stuff, mate. The, the, uh, what's the... Uh, the Killing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. He's brilliant. So He is very good. Yeah, and so... And I guess the reason... Mostly the reason why I love this is because, yeah, of course there's nostalgia and... And in reality, the film is probably a 7 out of 10. Oh, 7? You're yeah. going that high? Yeah. I'm like, what's the critical response to it? I'm actually intrigued. I'm I think the critical response is pretty good. Um, so you can have a look at that. Have a look at the critical response. Um, so I want to tell you some of the reasons why Six I, absolutely, I absolutely love it. Um, and there's many reasons. I think it's because it's it's a little bit deeper than just a silly little kids martial arts film um the martial arts is genuinely good there is strong themes of it shows how it shows like fatherhood from splinter and what it means to be a good father um in kind of the contrast to how shredder is treating the foot clan it really shows the foot clan as young boys posing them just yeah just like the turtles and i think that that's a, a really strong through line throughout the film and there's some really like tender moments with Splinter it's voiced by the, the voice artist that does Elmo from Sesame Street which is brilliant um, and we kind of see the turtles as they're four different people you've got Leonardo who is blue and has swords and is the leader seen as the leader um, portrayed really badly in again the new adaptations as well like um, you've got Raphael, who's the hothead, who's the brawn. He's the, he's supposed to be the toughest out of all of them. He's got his size. And then we've got Michelangelo, who is orange. Um, he has his nunchucks. And then finally, we've got Donatello, who is purple, who has his stick. Um, so Michelangelo is like the fun one. He's the one that's always joking around him. You've got Donatello, who is the gadget guy. Like he's the brains behind. He's the one the who was doing the film quotes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you've got that and the reason why I love it is because I just think that the score is these films can become an absolute disaster like a live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film why is it so good it could have been a disaster 
the for, score, any, for anyone who's not watched it, it ain't that great. You're just just set expectations. Okay, <laughs> he's absolutely fuming. This is like Mortal Kombat all over again. We haven't done Mortal Kombat yet. And oh, okay. That's that's. I'm not. I'm not going to be happy not about willing. that either. Mortal yeah. Kombat '95. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Um, so mm. so yeah, John. Um, yes. Sorry. Tell me about. Tell me about it. What um, did, so yeah, go. Look, Sorry, look. I, t- I tell you speak. what, it's a coherent plot. I'll give it that much. It's a coherent plot. Yeah. There's some fun gags. Funny, but funny moments. It's yeah, a funny. bit. It reminds me of like that vibe of like Superman the movie. You know that kind of like humor, and it's all a bit wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a fair, fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. Jamie's like slowly like getting redder and redder and like ready no, to like no, blow. No, no, so I'm, I'm just good, just reading these reactions as I say this. I'm cool. I'm cool as a cucumber, um, mate. Yeah. So I like the fact you like you don't see the turtle straight away. I thought it was quite cool. I thought the reveal of how they did them was quite interesting. Um, and like you don't see them in their full appearance for probably a good twenty or thirty minutes into the film. Yeah. Um. I don't mind the fact we're following it through the human character because we go through April as the investigative journalist, essentially, or news news presenter. Yeah. So it gives you a good in. Um, when it came to some interesting product placement, which was quite good fun. So what was in there that we said? Was it Pepsi and Dominoes? Pepsi Dominoes. It's, like it's, got kids... a little cri- it's got a Critters poster on yeah. the side of a bus shuttle, which I loved. Yeah, in the um, kids' club for lack of a better thing where they're all hanging out because they're badasses there's loads of like product placement everywhere isn't there yeah it's quite funny um it looks like do you remember like all those tv ads for like toys in like the 90s it was like get your slime and there's always like a weird like background <laughs> yeah, yeah that to me is what it reminded me of it was like such okay. a throwback to like nickelodeon adverts or whatever um but yeah like i i found like the giant rat um, the giant the giant rat just did me I don't know like the animatronics not even that bad it just it just threw the animatronics me. are incredible I'm surprised at this because I, I think you, you may have that. I feel like you may have um, viewed it with the wrong lens because I watched Phantom Menace which is like far you know. too serious <laughs> yeah uh, I, no but genuinely like Phantom Menace for its flaws takes itself too seriously like in like parts whilst like this was very much poking fun at, its, at itself throughout um I have a question for you, and I don't know if you know this. You know the bit when they're like little turtles? Yeah. Are they, is it stop motion or the, are they in mini suits? Is it puppets? Like, so I can wear that out because whenever it does the flashback thing, the contrast is like super high. It looks really grainy. Did you notice? Like every time there's yeah. like, and like when he's like the little, the rat training doing the karate. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, that is funny. Like the fact like- it's really funny. There's a rat learning karate or sorry, sorry, Kung Fu off his master in a cage and whatever. Like it's just so wild, like whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, go on. How did they do it? I don't know. Like, I'm so oh, sorry. Li- listen, I've, I've watched loads. <laughs> I've behind- you up. <laughs> no, I've watched loads of behind the scenes, and that's that's not on anything that I've I've seen. I'm sure there's someone out there that knows, but I'm intrigued. Um, yeah, because there's like it's, it shows like the mini ones. It's like, and then they started like growing bigger than me. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and all that. Yeah, like, yeah. Look, look, it is funny. Like it, it 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 is. But like, just Jamie. The thing that made me laugh last night was Jamie was like, because I watched half it yesterday, half it today. Jamie's like, oh, have you got to the big fight yet? I was like, no, I'm not at the big fight yet. He's like, oh, you, you wait, you wait. So in my head, I don't know what I thought was going to change. <laughs> but I felt like like all the money was going to be pumped into like the last 20 minutes of the film or something. And I was quite disappointed when it wasn't. I would say 
I think the fact that in the fights, and I think I've already said this briefly, but the way the stunt performers can perform in the suits is great. Because like the like yeah. the, the fights are good, and like they do have that annoying Roger Moore Bond thing where there's like stupid noises where it goes, or like you know that stuff always pees me off. But they do that. I like that. I know I hate that, and they do it. In, that's in the Power Rangers, and I hate that as well. And it annoys me in that one. And again, you can tell me off comparing, but that's my version of this. Um, and yeah, like it takes it out of it for me. Like I like the the crack. Like the one liners don't bother me. Like they're no worse than any current marvel projects uh, but it's just like the incessant with like the sound mix also being tongue-in-cheek as well i like it when you have a level of self-awareness but not that much but in the 90s this was quite common like things were cheesier in the 90s like any film was cheesier like yeah, even I if you watch the, like the, the 15 rates, genuinely good though yeah some of them are i mean like i like the bit when he's like battering them and he's doing all the turtle puns that's good fun yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, yeah great fun i think I like the... Um, I've forgotten his character. You know, is it Shredder, the main bad guy? Yeah, Shredder. Shredder's um, suit is cool. Like his, his mask and all like that, that stuff. Yeah, I liked that. I like his fight. I don't like the fact his fight seems to end quite crap. Is he back in the sequel? Yeah. Yeah, good. Because like, his death was pretty rubbish. But um, the, end, the end fight, basically from when they, they go into like that big Nickelodeon advert place you know like the underground dig Dining club vibe yeah yeah um <laughs> when when they when they go in there um they have to fight like 50 people or something don't they to like get out oh yeah there's yeah, good there's... stuff going on in there I, I admit that my my favorite fight probably was when the house is burning down you know like in the you do not like that one no it's my favorite moment of the whole entire film. oh fine, okay so that that for me was good because it was less about the jokes and more about the jeopardy and i also like the fact that i've forgotten his name i'm going to scroll up so joe doesn't shout at me casey jones no um who's the one who gets battered is it leonardo Raphael. Raphael. so i like the fact that like there is genuine danger to it like Raphael gets battered and then he like he's in a bath for about well probably screen time is only about 10 minutes but it feels like there's genuine weight for that moment and there's stakes and I like that bit more yeah, so because it takes itself seriously at that point I feel like I've always been a bit snobby with films like when they don't take themselves seriously I struggle to to get on with it I am quite dull with that like I like when you know like when everything was um, Jason Bourne or like Casino Royale like or Batman yeah. Begins where it went back to basics like I was that person who was really behind that and I feel like it, it killed a lot of things as well and like didn't work for certain things but I love Grease though yeah, yeah I but think... I feel like there's a time and a place and like this isn't it I, f- I feel like there's probably and you're going to tell me because you've watched the recent two I bet there's a good adaptation of this somewhere Um, you're going to tell me this is it but I just feel like yeah a good adaptation of what Te- Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah yeah, this is it. I, I, I literally just said you'd say that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just I don't know. It just it just as I, as I said, the 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 bottom line is I've watched it at the wrong age. I needed to see this fifteen years ago, if not yeah. before. I mean, I so and like you, you must have like great nostalgia memories for it. It's like if I watch the Power Range movie, I know it's like four out of ten, probably. Realistically. Yeah, but, and see, I I I think this is better than that, but I still don't think it's that great so i i do i was genuinely watching this with like a critical eye so this this time i was like this time i was like there are obviously like there's obviously going to be parts where i haven't seen it in many years so i was like what if it's not as good um 
and yeah, a few a few of the jokes don't land. What what I do think though is Casey like, Jones is a bit rough at one point, isn't he? You will sit down for your massage. That was a bit ropey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bloody hell! <laughs> yeah. I was a bit like, oh god, April, yeah, yeah, yeah. you will you will sit down. Okay, yeah. jeez. Yeah, and the way he like, I think he's just like a dumb character there. Like the way he's like calling her toots and like, uh, yeah, and, like yeah. it's like just i'm not being that person because like we joke like we joke all the time when we were doing the 50s films you have to accept of like what was going on at the time like yeah, it's just how exactly. it's presented it is what it is but there is that moment where you're going oh not yeah. sure no well it's fine like it's 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 fine like i ain't gonna go it around doing it, it to anyone i ain't gonna go around doing it to anyone but it was it was 23 years ago so do you know what I mean? Um, anyway, uh, not saying it's right now, but yeah. Um, 20, 33 years. I was going to say, it's longer than that, that, 33 years ago. Um, so, yeah, so for me, like the... So this so the, this, this actually is based off... Um, they wanted to get this as close to the Mirage comics as possible, which the Mirage comics was the original adaptation. They're super um, violent, aren't they, though, originally? Uh, they are. So we, we mentioned that Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, they actually... So you, you'll like this, John. So Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, the guys that wrote it, um, Peter Laird doesn't really do much press or anything anymore, Like, but Kevin Eastman's still very much around, I think. Um, they spent their last $2,000 making this comic. And it turned, it like basically started as, like uh, I think Peter Laird, Kevin Eastman had been watching some some trash TV. And basically what, what happened is he started sort of drawing these turtles um with this and it's and it was basically the origin story of the turtles could be linked to daredevil so daredevil Daredevil. yeah so daredevil obviously the origin story of him was some toxic waste went into his eyes yeah the origin story of this is that a toxic canister went down the drain smashed hit some turtles uh, because obviously that's where turtles hang out you know um so the that's that's like there's a strong through line for like like strong link to daredevil splinter also is a is an ode to a character in Daredevil, like a teacher, I think, called Stick. So that's yeah, like a little Sticks, like Sticks his mentor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's so that's an ode to Stick as well. So that's where that came from. Like, and the this actual story of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles nineteen ninety, the the part with Raphael where he kind of goes off on one and he's he's fallen out with Leonardo and he leaves the apartment. So they they have this they have this fight. The reason why Raphael gets beaten up is, yeah, they have a fight, they have an argument. Um, Raph goes onto the roof and starts doing, <laughs> uh, and he gets jumped by the Foot Clan. So this is actually based upon, I think, one of the most famous stories and one of the best stories of Teenage Mutant in many years. But it's called "What Goes, What Goes Around Comes Around," um, and it's based in Christmas, and a similar thing happens. Now the fight when the reason why I love this so much is that yeah you've got the ninja parts where like they're smashing lights and they're they're like kind of disappearing into the darkness these kind of things which is amazing helps save production budget as well you'd have to show them but yeah exactly um, <laughs> because they spent all their budget on the apartment scene the there's an, this is there's a fight scene in in an apartment where it's in April O'Neil's apartment where Raph gets beaten up on on the top by the Foot Clan there's loads of them and he's fighting at first like he's having quips and all this kind of fun stuff get smashed through the building and and all of a sudden like all the turtles are starting to fight and it's three against 50 and then the the music's very much like almost like circus like and it's like like all this kind of thing and they're like boy like all this kind of thing like that's when i get pissed off with stuff but yeah carry on but that's and i think that's that's probably where you're going wrong because you're 
you are kind of treating it too seriously. Um, I think it's got a really good blend of appealing to adults and also kids. Do you but reckon... it's still quite violent and scary for kids. Ish. I, I mean, do you, so, do you reckon that I'd like the Michael Bay produced ones more? No. As a person who's not a fan? Not at all. Do you not think I'd go into that and be like, yeah... Mm, yeah, because you love the absolute Bayhem. Um, the yeah, so in terms of that, like the, the, we we go from this circus like thing, and they're all just fighting. You're like, yeah, the titles are winning, and then all of a sudden it gets really serious. There's the 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 Foot Clan bring out axes, and the turtles are using their weapons and stuff, and it goes everything goes on fire, and the music changes to this un incredible score. And it's like just really sinister and there's guitars and drums and this synth score. And it's it that there gives, I got pure goosebumps when I see that. Like it's unreal. Casey Jones turns up with his hockey mask on and his stick and he's ready to rock and roll. And I just think that is unreal. And they're trying to get Raphael out there to make sure he doesn't die um, while April's apartment burns down. And that's when you realize the stakes and the tone completely shifts. What I love... Mm after this is when they're in the house making Raph better there is absolutely there's a there's a piece where April O'Neil's sitting down and she's drawing the turtles um, and it's a proper Linda Hamilton Terminator 2 draw me like two. you paint your French girls Jack it's a proper Terminator 2 vibe mate yeah. it's so Terminator 2 the way she monologues the voiceover like, stuff the boys have suffered their first defeat yeah. like it's proper similar to the to the way Sarah Connor Talks in Terminator Two is like yeah. is like um, the Terminator's learning. Um, they play, like it understands John like and all this like it, it's just like he's like he, a father, but he'll never be late, never be angry, never be ah, sad. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I really think Terminator <laughs> Two <laughs> could have been inspired by that monologue from Judith Hope. I feel like it was already filming at that point, and they would have seen each other. Whatever, mate. I'm not you're, just a, you're a nine-year-old trapped in a man's body. Well, I'm the opposite because you're saying I'm too moody to watch it. Yeah, you are, yeah. Uh, There's a fully CG one of this as well. Yeah, no, there is. It's called TMNT. Yeah. Is that I'm good? I've seen it. Um, so before we answer some questions, a few little facts about the film. Um, you might like this, John. So apparently the suits were unbearably hot. Uh, they had battery packs in the shell of the suit that controlled the, fa- the faces and the mouths. Um, it took them about a week to get used to the feeling of like carrying them around because they were like super okay. heavy. Um, they designed the they designed stools so that the turtles could lean over the stools like yeah, yeah. Were, and just take the weight off their backs. Um, and then a week after, had like an air conditioning unit that was brought in to cool them down, which they they said was really good. But there was a lot of stuff shot on location, so the film mm. was mostly shot in North Carolina. But then obviously they had to shoot on location in New York. Um, so yeah I think the Jim Henson animatronics yeah and that is incredible and I, I'm not taking the mic out of that there's and I, I always say there's genuine craft behind this it's just not it just didn't speak to me but in terms of like the look of it I think the turtles look better here than they do in the CG of the trailer I've seen um, but they also they're different in this because they're more human size like in the in the bay ones they're kind of like I know he didn't direct them, he produced them. But he um he got them bigger. They were more I feel like, like Bay directed the first one. I don't think he did, I think he produced both. But anyway, like he went for like supersized, more like Adonis like versions of them, didn't he? Yeah, so I think in the um 
in the other adaptations that I saw, so in so yeah, the the, the second one, the Out of the Shadows one, Raphael is noticeably bigger than the other than the other ones because he's like kind of the the bronze the alpha the, yeah so in terms of like his, his his toughness like he's the he's the toughest one um but shall we end on a few questions let's do it right so i mean a, f- a few of these you're not even going to be able to um it, when it starts talking about differentiating the um ninja yeah. turtles then yeah right yeah well sorry about that john um anyway so we've got uh david ellis who's written in and asked which turtle is your favorite and which are you most like in real life so john doesn't really know about the turtle john splinter who's who rat who's who (laughs) i couldn't tell just think personalities really yeah um do you know what i would say john's leonardo because he's you're serious and can't take a joke yeah i know that is actually quite fair just triggered yeah I mean I'm Raphael right at this moment because I'm pure triggered by what John's I, I'm always doing like karate at the top of buildings as well is that the same one that's Raphael no. oh wow uh, Raphael's red Leonardo's blue again they should have done something more with the alliteration and the colours there I reckon but anyway yeah go for it yeah I mean so yeah we'll, we'll answer both these together Dan, Daniel's what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle are you most like slash want to be so my favourite growing up like I, I watched the cartoons first and i just was obsessed with the cartoons um obviously not in 87 i watched i just stumbled across the cartoons first in general um i was my favorite was always donatello see the purple one yeah see you know now you're getting there um, and i don't really know why my favorite was it's donatello. the stick think... mate the stick looks sick it's like darth maul's lightsaber so yeah so the stick i loved and i just had access to a stick in the backyard so <laughs> me, and my, me and my brother actually so i used to make my brother choreograph lightsaber fights with me out in the back garden oh yeah yeah that's yeah. standard yeah yeah all right sorry <laughs> no, no, no it's good it's good like like who didn't yeah. it's, it's the best but i would say that i would say probably that my favorite was donatello um and again who am i most like probably not uh, probably Raphael because i've got like no patience and a bad temper <laughs> I, I can relate to Raphael most days of the week but hey yeah I mean, I guess there's a little bit that the prop the the thing with the turtles is a there's a little bit of, of the turtles in all of us. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, well, I don't know what else you want me to say. They teach you about teamwork. I'll give them that. As and do Power Rangers, and, and there's some good lessons about a team. Yeah. what it means to be a father. You know, like good fatherhood. Like Splinter's a, a great mentor, and like oh, it's, it's just... not it's not Danny anymore, Dad. It's just Dan. Oh God, yeah. He, I hate right, him. Mate. I hated him. No, I don't. I, I just hate. He the looks a bit like, like Neville Longbottom, but obviously it's not the same. But still, maybe Casey not. Jones is one of my favourites. You know, like he, he's, he's Sam Rockwell's in this, by the way. I know, yeah. It's so yeah, funny. Yeah, he's one of the kids, yeah. Um, he's a uh, yeah. Casey Jones is one of my favourites. How he's just like just a badass man, just a badass with his cricket bat and his golf club. Like yeah. I, I love the fight that he has when he just like smashes the guy with the golf, the golf club. club. Yeah, brilliant. Like and he's. He's te- he's talking shit like on as he's getting. Beaten I just up. couldn't get out of being like, oh my god, that's the old guy from the killing. Like that's what I kept thinking when I saw him. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, Time. So cool. yeah, John. And um, if you're a Ninja Turtle, Film Forager writes in this. By the way, if you're a Ninja Turtle, what would be your name? Uh, it's, I don't know. Well, you were supposed to do your work before. Jonatello, surely. 
<laughs> gelato. Uh, no, because you're saying that they're all confusing to determine who's which is which, and you're saying yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, I don't want to. I want to fit in. I don't want to be freak. I want to be a, an also. Don't call them freaks, mate. They I, don't like that. I want to be accepted mutant ninja turtle. I want to have a similar name. Yeah. So, so what's it going to be, John? Giuliano. Giuliano. Yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd probably want to be called like Giovanni. Giovanni or like I don't know Giuseppe Giuseppe would be pretty cool um, and then I feel like I would use maybe like I was just maybe. thinking of loads of Alfa Romeo names <laughs> I was like Alfa Romeo Julia Alfa Romeo like I'd probably have I don't like, know why <laughs> I wonder what your weapon would be I'd have like tiger cl- the, you know the, the hand claws <laughs> like ninja hand claws <laughs> yeah yeah anyway um... that really tickled me and I don't know why not not the claws um, I <laughs> weapon mm. uh, so you've got I you've really got a few know. choices here you've got the chain and the sickle, scythes like electra another like ninja weapon the scythes are like electra scythes. no that's that well no that's what thing he's got that's what yeah Raphael's but I'm saying like, like daredevil references electra had scythes so maybe that's what that's about so she did yeah and so she did. daredevil has a billy club so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could use throwing stars or something. Anyway, never mind. Throwing um, stars would be pretty Billy... cool. Yeah, exactly. You could have Billy clubs. Yeah, you could do like the, the scene version. in Spider Man when he he like jumps backwards and then like all those things are flying towards him trying to hit his chest, which they copied in Daredevil. But it's great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Saturn writes in. He says, "I wish Domino's brought back delivery in thirty minutes, or your pizza is free or a discount." I'm never mean, gonna happen. I don't. That never happened in England. <laughs> yeah, nah. every, everyone's too tight in England. But obviously we know that that's an issue for Peter Parker in Spider-Man 2. Oh, uh, God, yeah. He has a bad time with that. He has a really bad time with that. Um, right, I think we've got just a couple more mm-hmm. and then it's time to go. And I'm going to tell you, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm, yeah, I'm actually going to tell you what we're what we're doing for once. We've got loads of loads of episodes lined up. I've got my, got my houses in order. Um, right, though, so... Patch writes in and he says, what created the rise in toxic fandoms and will they always be a fixture of the industry? We're going to talk really briefly on this because I think we did mention it yeah, maybe last time or a couple of episodes ago. But, I mean, ultimately it comes down to social media, right? Essentially social media, but also I feel like uh, the prequels were probably the start of it because it was message boards. It was online message boards. Do you remember that? Like right. that was the yeah. thing, and like that's how it started, and like the negative reaction, and like <sighs> toxic fandom. the The problem is because everyone now has a voice that's easily accessible for anyone to see. Like, it's very difficult for everyone to be on the same page, and if they're not on the same page, they don't want to follow them. They don't want to be in that echo chamber. But if you're part of the echo chamber, you're hearing what you want. But if the film's not giving you that, then you're going to complain. So it's yeah. very difficult and it's black and white now isn't it it's very much like it's hate or love yeah and like film criticism film criticism in general another issue jamie and i have is you get more views for loving or hating something than you do for giving it a six out of ten which is why jamie and i struggle sometimes but no like genuinely (laughs) if if we if we came out and said we hated stuff all the time or love stuff all the time i reckon like it genuinely does have an impact of like your engagement 
but I feel like what that also does is create false narratives of like things are bad or things are good. But the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. Like, and we, yeah, there's, there's good things about things, there's bad things about things. But like, I hate the kind of whole toxic fandom is just being like, this is all terrible or this is all great. There's no like in the middle. Like, like Snyder Cut's a great example. Like, some of the stuff that went down for that to come out was not okay. Like, some of the social media stuff was insane. And am Snyder I, fans are included in toxic fandoms, yeah, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. But am I glad that film came out? Yes. Do I think it's perfect? No. Would I be shot down for saying that opinion probably within that community? Yes. Um, and I feel like Star Wars, prequels, sequels, whatever, original trilogy, there's, like, so many differing opinions. There's a, there's a lot of it going on with Star Trek at the moment. It makes me really sad because like some people hate New Trek, some people love New Trek, some people hate Old Trek, blah blah blah. And it's just like I just kind of feel like, and I think this is was the opinion I gave before. We're in a, a world where we have access to so much media. Like, why does it matter? Like, you can pick and choose the law you want to follow or not follow. I don't get this whole thing of why you have to shout at every other person to agree with you because they're wrong, because it's like it's just wasted energy. And I feel like also some films are worse off because of trying to listen to fandoms. So Alien Covenant, like Star Wars. Well, yeah. Another example I was going to say was when Prometheus came out, and I think we'd used this example before. Everyone's like, I want to see the Alien. I want to see the Alien. I actually really like the fact you don't see the Alien in Prometheus. I like the fact they try to do different things, and it Prometheus went to Thousand Miles Space Odyssey, and yeah, yeah, yeah. What annoys me is by the time we got to Alien Covenant, we never got the sequel for Prometheus. We got a an Alien film which has a brief mention of it, and I like parts of Covenant again um, more I than love, most. I've, I've, I love like, Covenant. I by get the way. <laughs> really annoyed with this whole kind of like the toxic fandom and the reaction to Prometheus basically affected what was made afterwards, and it's yeah. bowing down to like. And then when it was given to them, people still moaned and like. It just kind of proved to me, like, you can't win. And Force Awakens is an example of kind of just ticking boxes to appease lots of people and, and then moaning about it, saying it's the same as New Hope. And I just, yeah. yeah. Toxic fandom is made worse through social media because it's just so easy accessible. Yeah. And just the fact of, like, it's so easy to disagree now and or it's so easy to, like, have your army of people on your side. And it's just sad, really, because, like, one of the things I really enjoy and, like, I had it recently... Like I mentioned, Kate watched Euphoria. She didn't love it. Like, there's plenty of things she slated about it, but like the discourse around it and the chat about like why we had divided opinions on it was why it was interesting. Like, I don't need to like because you joke saying, "Why don't you go to Reddit forum of people who love Euphoria?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I could go on that and sit and read Savage. it, yeah, and, and have an echo." I must have woke up to about. 45 messages of you discussing it yeah yeah and like yeah i can do that but i i don't want that i want i want opinions and i don't just want people to say they hate it because that that does nothing for me i want constructive feedback constructive criticism is really good and like you know what i hope i've given that to teenage mutant ninja turtles it hasn't spoke to me there's lots of things i think are good about it but i know why it didn't speak to me but i could be part of a toxic fandom and just be like teenage mutant ninja turtles is shit and i just i'm never gonna watch it and like it's all bad and blah 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 and it's just like for what yeah who's it who can you even speak can you speak klingon you can't even speak klingon yeah who starred as the captain of the pilot of star trek the original series it's it's you know it's contradicting the original law of this and it's like yeah but there's so much it just doesn't work and it all contradicts each other i mean like yeah Um, it's even sorry that was not music now as well like you see like like the (laughs) like taylor swift fans and bts fans and one direction fans are all like kind of included in like people 
think that that's quite like there's obviously One Direction fans back in the day were quite scary. I remember. Yeah. Like, but, you know, that's not me saying anything bad about any of those groups of fans because there's obviously but they 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 they're described as like some of the the worst the, the most craziest fans like um and, and say, the same way Star Trek, Star Wars, all of these kinds of things and it's and most of the time it is it is just uh men gatekeeping like <laughs> the MCU in comic books and Star Trek. So um but the one thing John said pretty much everything that I'd ever want to say anyway. Sorry, yeah. I went no, 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 it was fine. Like, the, the only thing I would finish on is that the reason why, the reason why I love doing the podcast, like, and what the, the one thing that I really do hope gets across to people is that I always talk about how that we're, we're honest, but at the same time, people listen to this, I, and I, I feel like for the people that we interact with, the people that listen to this know that when they listen, that they're going to get a balanced opinion and they're not we're, we're not just sitting here just slating and being negative about a film or an actor or a person just for the for like two hours because we're all probably very stressed and like life is life is hard anyway so hopefully like you get a little bit of a laugh and you get the the positives and you, you hear our passion and excitement for for these things and even though we've both said that like yeah phantom menace is a car crash in places like it's also like there's also some incredible parts of it and john doesn't like teenage mutant ninja Turtles, but I'm like getting goosebumps over, it, you know. I do think, though. Actually, I think it is fair to say, though, that like no matter what you think, there is like unconscious bias, and like there's times when we have talked about films or directors who we both have a passion for, and we probably do realm on. I hope we don't go into the toxic fandom space, but we probably go in a defensive space. Like I remember the Man of Steel episode being incredibly passionate about that and defending a lot of points and the criticism. But my point is, we address the criticism not yeah. ignoring it and saying well, it's, like, it's the best thing ever and blah 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 and it's like well yeah I kind of think we would just say we but disagree <laughs> like, we, we, we do disagree with some things like we also things think and, and nothing you know is what? perfect like, guys like here's a lesson for you nothing absolutely nothing is perfect no and like part of the fun is unraveling why it's not and then trying to seek that perfection is where you get these weird little things and then sometimes you get it like lightning in a bottle like original Star Wars like all these things come together direction score actors whatever and yeah yeah sorry long answer no um i mean there's there's a really short one before we go into the last long one and um, there's been a bit of rose tinted glasses looking back at the prequels in recent years correct could you see the same thing happen to the latest trilogy in another 10 years probably because there will be people the thing that happened with the prequels is what happened with me which is i grew up with them i think you have the initial kind of they're cool they're cool they're cool then they're uncool because you reach an age where you like them as a kid so you obviously can't like them now because that's just a weird thing that happens at the age of about 18 to 25 or something like that and then i think the reappraisal happens when um like you get past the kind of liking it for the toys or like the world and that stuff but actually you start looking at different things if you want to find them there's great performances in the sequel trilogy like if i'm being harsh and honest i'd say nearly every performance in the sequel trilogy is better than probably nearly every portrayal in the prequel trilogy quite comfortably yeah i think they they probably had direction yeah the acting is far better the performances are better so i think there will be things to appraise about it and i also remember that empire strikes back wasn't received well when it came out people thought it was too dark they didn't like the like the way it went i'm telling you now we talked about this before i'm like the last jedi is getting is currently is get it's being reappraised all the time and and i think so some people I know who 
so there's been a couple of people lately um actually shout out to kim um who have who have just watched all of the stuff oh yeah i need do you know what i yeah i wanted to ask him some questions before yeah this so yeah, there's been so time. but coming so when people that are removed from all of the bullshit around what star wars is when they just go and watch the films it's intriguing I to hear their points yeah, yeah, yeah really interesting because, yeah yeah because kim was like she liked the prequels I, as well she like last jedi is good and i was yeah. like yep and i think that the reason people didn't like the last jedi is because it deviated from Took the risks. natural yeah the the natural like kind of progression of things and so you've got the force awakens that is a rehash and then you've got the rise of the skywalker that basically undoes everything that the last jedi does and so ryan johnson like man what a brave guy like what he did in that film like and and, and, and you know what aesthetically it's the it's best mean, looking film by it's far the, man yeah it, the, is, it is the you best know the fight film. with snoke the fight with snoke is like yeah really really cool i remember um, that being edited like remember when people used to put loads of so- different songs to it though because it fit perfectly like a music video and one of them was a panic at the disco song and it was great but anyway um brilliant we've got one last question yeah sorry go on. oh we no sorry you we, 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 i've we, lost my train of thoughts to be honest but all i was gonna say was yeah there's no that's what i was gonna say you can clip this and like save it for like 10 years in the future uh I genuinely think the reappraised films that people look back on that will age well because they're already aging well now man of steel I think pretty much Man of Steel, I think Snyder's Justice League trilogy will literally age better than most of the Marvel stuff that came out around that time. I've seen and, quite a lot of people you, already loving you, Batman vs. Yeah, Superman. You can, you can quote me on that because I genuinely feel like the themes and arcs it was going for were broader and we've talked about the Greek mythology aspect. I won't go on a tangent. The other thing I will say is, yes, I do think people, to answer your question, will reappraise the sequel trilogy and there'll be people who... Are, were young when they came out who will then show them to their children who will have no links to it and they'll think it's great and that's what will keep happening like that's that's part of the joy of sharing the, the Star Wars films with people well that's life anyway absolutely we've got the last question from Patch um, Patch says and it was yeah what childhood cartoon or IP from your area area what's going on with me I've only been drinking Dr Pepper tonight what's going on Got my Dr. Pepper on the go. Um, let's try again. What childhood cartoon or IP from your era would you like to see brought back with a modern approach? Absolutely no mine. You're going to laugh. Take one guess. Uh, Power Rangers. No, actually. Surprised. Oh. Okay. Um, it's too niche, probably. I. So I love... Oh, oh, I've got it, I've got it. Go. Thunderbirds. Correct. Absolutely. Hey, I know him. I know him. So um, <laughs> they, to be fair, the CG series they did with the practical models that was done by Weta was absolutely great. And to be honest, has hit the nail on the head. But what I would love, I remember, and this is a terrible idea, but you know, when you're a teenager and you think everything's a great idea, I remember when the film came out in 2004 and it was mad because it didn't focus on the Thunderbirds. It focused on three teenagers on an island when the Thunderbirds weren't there absolute waste of like what's the point in having these machinery and only doing one rescue in the entire film load of crap so in my head i always believe that there's like a moody gritty version where a rescue goes wrong at the start and someone dies like one of the main crew and then it's like recover like them having to like 
the trace so there's five brothers four or five brothers who, ha- who all work together and do these missions to save people but my idea was one of them dies straight away at the start of the film and it's about them dealing with the loss and then being like why should we save all these other people and then them doing it but it was like this is the era of batman begins casino royale so it's like 2006 and in my head i'm like yeah this is this is what they should have done now i know for a fact that's terrible it won't sell no one cares but i would i would love to see that like uh, i care so much of that series is known for being a bit camp and being a bit tongue-in-cheek though and being like light-hearted so in my teenage mind the idea of seeing a fully gritty thunderbirds with good cg and whatever because the opening um no one cares but the opening of that film the opening um rescue is actually pretty good and i wanted the whole film to be like that it's like the first 10 minutes is what the film should be but then they don't do it so i would love that i would do you know what there's probably because of budgets now people could probably do a decent fan film of that and like get halfway there maybe that'll be me maybe that'll be me who knows mate as long as they Imagine. keep that yeah mate i love that you've just gone on a mad tangent about thunderbirds sorry like, so niche everyone's like what is that no nah, i think people know what it Puppet is like, no, we, from the we've 60s. definitely got some listeners we've do- we've definitely got some listeners that love a bit of fun mate our, our actually do you know what's funny our listener base is like between the ages of 16 and 24 like very small and then it's just 25 upwards like that's it mate ways up sorry jamie what's your no well that that the busted song thunderbirds are go absolute banger we've sung that on the pod before um so for me um childhood cartoon so i mean i would love to see like a like a live action serious like gritty version of arthur like every day when you're walking oh, down, down the street, street. with his like with i his, always get that confused with hey arnold with his trials and tribulations mate um listen to the band, listen yeah to the band, and i'm joking and um, so i would um i'd probably say he-man so masters so oh yeah yeah, yeah. a lot of people know that i thought you were going to do that for this pod as well we are doing masters of universe it's coming ah. um with, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell the listeners about all the pods upcoming. So Masters of the Universe, like He Man, I know they've released a cartoon on um, Netflix, but really I would just love to see that like properly done, like live action. I think it would be Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. I have the power. Yeah. So Masters of the Universe would be would be really good, and the '80s one. So I think that is a film where I have rose tinted glasses on that, and I just don't think it's. Um, it's probably not going to be very good. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be quite atrocious. Um, some other things, there's certain things that I would never want touched, but at the same time, like, would it be nice to see, like, the never-ending story? Like, No, leave it. Okay, cool. Le- absolutely leave it. I, that film still traumatises. Everyone knows the scene that traumatises you. It's yeah, like bloody yeah, wolf. No spoilers, no and, spoilers, but yeah. Yeah. And then I guess maybe they, yeah, I, I think He-Man's the one, I used to love He-Man when I was a kid absolute banger um and then really like i still watch all the stuff now that i used to watch so like batman the animated series that's been done to death so we won't talk about batman and Tam- uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles apparently the new one mutant mayhem is supposed to supposed be to really an- good yeah brilliant oh, yeah. so really that's that's probably it but i guess fun tight johnny not that long uh 128 minutes Oof, oh, mate, these are getting longer lately, aren't they? We need to pack it in. Right then, so we have got some upcoming episodes which we've we've got in. So we've got, uh, just for the listeners, so you've obviously got episode 60 coming out. Um, 
which you've just heard, <laughs> episode 61. We've got an anime episode coming, which we're going to cover Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro. Don't forget the Predator one that we are trying to slot in there somewhere, Predator we're and Predator slot, 2. We are going to slot a Predator episode in there. We've got movies so bad they're good. I've been told a few times that these movies aren't so bad they're good, but I don't really care because guess what? It's our podcast. What are you going to do about it? Um, we've got Masters of the Universe from 1987 and Jumper starring our very own oh, Christ. Hayden Christensen. Aaron, 20 minutes though, folks. That'll be a quick one to whip through. It, well, that pod will probably be, be longer than... Stuff to, the episode of the pod will be longer than the film. <laughs> you Literally. Will, yeah. um, we've got a 90s comedy episode coming, which is going to be Election and My Cousin Vinny. And then we've got a musicals episode. Musicals part two, we say. Because um, the first one did so well, we thought we'd go back. It's actually done all right. So Eventually. So the, that is the first episode we did, which absolutely bombed on release. Do you remember? Oh, it tanked. It, yeah, it really absolutely bad. tanked. Um, and then suddenly you know got what? a second wind, but whatever. Yeah, we're doing Singing in the Rain. We're doing Singing in the Rain, and we're going to do a small Irish film, independent film called Sing Street, which uh, the reason we're doing it is because I'm really recommending you to watch it because it's an absolute banger. And I did have Dune Part 2 in there somewhere, but guess what? That's been pushed back to March, unfortunately, due to the writer's strikes. Um, That's okay. Um, but you got to do what you got to do, you know? It's the, it's the right thing Get them paid. Get them paid. Um Right, John. Guess what? I suppose. I suppose it's, we'd better go. Right. Absolutely. Should we go? You can find us. <laughs> John's like, uh, go on. Wait, where can they find you, John? <laughs> at jcv.video and Jamie is. Well, we are at movies in a pod shell. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can write into the Gmail, which is movies in a pod shell at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube. Just type in movies in a pod shell. Um, we're not getting that many hits because it's not what YouTube is. It's not, it's not like it's not snappy enough. enough. It's not t- keeping your attention enough. Um, and we're probably going to be having more video content come soon. Me and John managed to hook up. Um, not in that way, you dirty sods. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, anyway, got- um, we've got T-shirts coming in. Well, just in time for Halloween, they will be here. Um, actually, this time. Oh Christ, we're not far from Halloween. I know it's that time of year when Jamie starts bombarding me. I'm still recovering from the descent last year. That was a year ago, isn't it? That's wild. But anyway, think, mm, two years. Was it? I feel like it was two years ago. Yeah, crazy. Mm. We've been running for ages now. Anyway, you can also anyway. leave us a five star review on iTunes. Please do, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from, because it really helps. I never say that bit. There you go. You go. I guess. See ya. Bye.